I lost track of the time. Did you get bit? This planet we're on is so sick of our shit. That's why the dead keep coming back to life. You're immune. I'm not. But it's why baby isn't either. I heard that you could cure bites here. Ain't nobody immune here but us. One of them could come in here and infect this entire camp. Behind you! You wanna live? says we're immune. Adukja looks at humble. Awenda sui luxiko. Hello everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. I'm Mike. One mother a lot of motherfuckers on the show tonight. <laughs> I lost count. But uh the guy who's with me as always, Mr. Venom, how are you doing? Greetings and salutations, zombie lovers. I'm doing very well, Mike. How you doing? I am doing well, about as well as can be under quarantine. Still working, so, you know, I got that going for me. Mm-hmm. All right, so I will start introducing tonight's co-host just based on, I guess, the order of their icons showing up on my Skype. So right in the middle... We got Jerry Herring. How are you doing? Welcome back, Jerry. Uh, Beatings and mutilations, everyone. (laughs) My name is also Jerry. I'm good. That's like like, sounds like evil mod Jerry with that greeting. This is what happened when a Jerry has hair. (laughs) (laughs) Evil is in your hair. All right. Next up on the Avatar list would be Moods also returning. Welcome back, Moods. Yeah, what's going on? I'm just chilling. I'm very I was really, really excited today um, because I know that I got mail actually twice. It was like the first time I got mail delivered to my house in like two or three weeks. So I was pretty stoked and I still haven't even checked the mailbox. So, (laughs) yeah, like what the fuck? Right. I've been so busy today, but. I know, I know, I know it's in there, but I just haven't grabbed it because I've been so busy. But I am super stoked. I got mail. It's crazy. Maybe things I'm are getting go steal his, I'm yeah. go steal his mail right now. I just don't think so. Like <laughs> ridiculous. Ah, uh, all right. Next up on the list would be Don and Ellie. Welcome back, Don. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Uh, not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. Uh, next up, I think this is the final person. Heather Powell, how are you doing? Welcome back. Thank you, and I'm super bad, glad to be here with Don and Moots tonight. Like, I'm, I feel like I'm working with some extra superstars, so I'll try to bring my best game possible. You know, this as opposed the to the... Yeah. It's supposed to Venom, who I work with all the time, you know? Yeah, I guess I'm chopped liver. And Jerry. <laughs> yeah. You're the superstars I'm used to. These are new superstars. 
this, I was going to say, this might be the first time we've had this many people on where every single person has been on before. I'm trying to think back because I think Black Christmas was Christian's first time and Three from Hell was Jeremy's first time. But this cast, everyone's been on before, so that's kind of cool. Yeah, it is. I guess I guess I guess I'm running out of friends to like invite for the first time. <laughs> All right. So you start dipping into the until you start dipping into the Legion pool. Oh yeah. yeah. That's true. That's true. I am the Legion pool. <laughs> no, you're the Legion fool. There's a difference. <laughs> oh, shots fired already. So, <laughs> hey, I'm on Legion too, so don't, I'm not. I'm not one to throw too many bullets. Yeah, I think I'm. I'm think I'm the only active podcaster he has a show with. <laughs> mhm. Well, technically, I'm on Legion too. That's I'm under true. Your banner, right? Yep. Heather's on Legion. Yep. Venom's on Legion. Yep. Mhm. Cool. Well, tonight we're discussing a movie that is on Shutter. It just premiered, I think, what, last week, maybe a week before that. Um, and it is called Blood Quantum. Director Jeff Barnaby. Is anyone familiar with Jeff Barnaby and anything else he's done? Uh, yeah, his, not. his first movie was called, uh, oh shit, what was it? Oh, you're talking about the, um, it had a dope-ass name. It was like The Ghouls of, or like The Rhymes of Young Ghouls. Rhymes for Young Rhymes of Young Ghouls. Rhymes of Young Ghouls. Rhymes for Young Ghouls. I want to watch that because the title sounds awesome, and I know it's like more of a crime drama movie, but with a title like that, I'm sold. <laughs> Has anyone seen it on the no? cast? No, but I think yeah. I did see it's on Amazon, so Amazon Prime, so I might actually watch it. I do see that it's set in the same reserve as Red Crow, though, which is yes. He said that in an interview. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, the the uh, synopsis for Blood Quantum is the dead are coming back to life outside the isolated who what's it Micmac res- reserve of Red Crow, except for its indigenous inhabitants who are strangely immune to the zombie plague. Starring Michael. Was that gray eyes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ellie have, Maya tail feathers. Yeah, we have some authentic cast here. Not just oh yeah, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of Forest good luck. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those definitely sound like indigenous names. The guy uh, who has oh Stone Horse Lone Goman. That's uh, I love that name Stone Horse. That's I awesome. love all these names and then you got Gary Farmer. Yeah, <laughs> Gary Farmer randomly showed up. Exactly, <laughs> and he's a veteran too. We've seen him a yeah. lot. Oh, oh tons, funny. tons of things. Yeah. I want to say I just saw Michael Gray Eyes in something. I don't know if it was a show though. Oh no, he yeah, is in True Detective. True Detective, yeah, the latest yep. season. He is That's also on so The Walking funny. Dead. Okay. Mm. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, um, this would be the time for general thoughts and. I will kick it to Venom as usual to start us off. So Venom, tell me what you thought of Blood Quantum. All right. Well, overall, I really, really like this movie. I absolutely love the first and third acts of this film. I think the setup for this film is mm-hmm. different. It's something that we, you know, we may have seen bits and pieces of in the past, but not really as the setup for a zombie apocalypse film. Uh, we'll talk about we'll talk about that more during the uh, spoiler section, but um. 
I feel like in the second act, the movie kind of hits the brakes a little bit. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just the action kind of comes to a standstill and it kind of becomes just kind of a, a group of people trying to survive. It kind of turns into The Walking Dead there for a little while, where sometimes you'll get like episodes that are totally character driven with no zombie attacks of any kind. That's what a lot of the second act felt like. Um, again, I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing. I can see some people kind of railing against that, and that's fine. Um, it, this movie is definitely not going to be for everybody. But, um, you know, I loved a lot of the social commentary, the socio-political, you know, commentary that um, with the indigenous people and the townies, as they call them, you know, the Caucasians of the area. Um, I think the effects are spectacular. There are some great kills, both practical and CGI in the film. Actually, one of my favorite kills in the movie is totally CGI. And, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, I, I, there's something here for almost all forms of zombie fans. If you're just a gore hound, I think you'll enjoy this. If you're more a fan of like Cargo, where it's more like a heartfelt look at a family during the zombie apocalypse, then once again, there's elements here for fans like that. My biggest complaint with the movie is that sometimes the movie doesn't feel like it knows what it wants to be. Does it want to be a gore fest? Does it want to be like a family drama set in a zombie apocalypse? It's like they bounce back and forth between uh, tones. There's tonal shifts in the movie that sometimes might take you out of it. There's also some character decisions made specifically from the antagonist of the film, the main antagonist. The, I should say the human antagonist of the film. Um, that kind of leaves you scratching your head a little bit. But all mm -hmm. in all, I really, really love this movie. Um, easily my favorite zombie film of 2020 thus far. Obviously, it's still only the beginning of May, so we got a lot of time left. But um, yeah, I really, really enjoyed this movie. It spoke to me on almost every level. I love the score. Um, the cinematography during the first and third acts are really, really nice. Uh, the scenic shots of the reservation early on and then the scenic shots of, you know, the world gone to shit at the end of the movie uh, all look really, really nice. Um, overall, yeah, really well-made movie, really enjoyable. Has Some people might say it has pacing issues. For me personally, it did not. The scenes where it slowed down and we started to get some character development and even some heartfelt scenes between some of the protagonists still worked for me. I know they're not going to work for a lot of horror fans, but yeah, overall, really, really enjoyed this one. This would get a high recommend from me. All right. From one Jerry to the next. How will, what did you think, Herring? So I'm not a big fan of the zombie genre. There's only so many times that you can impress me with headshots there's only so many because with zombies you have to take out the head like so eventually you've seen it all i'm not a big gore hound i don't really care for any of that so for the most part i don't actually really like zombie movies but for me a good zombie movie is about the characters and the evil within them that manifest while they try to survive the evil out there that is a, a big thing that makes me love a zombie movie, and that's exactly what this movie is. It's, yeah, there's a zombie movie, and they're fighting that evil, but it's also looking at the darkness inside them, and particularly with this movie, it's the darkness inside them that has been pushed onto them by how uh, society has treated them and how they see their own life as they went forward. 
Um, and so that was a, a very big plus for me was just how they did the characters in this movie. Uh, my second thing is, is I also feel like with a zombie movie, it has to have a very depressing ending. There could be survivors and all that, but I want it to end on a very thin and bleak line of hope that even though they made it through like this day alive, how long are they going to be able to keep that up? Uh, how long, you know, to this, the chips are stacked so far against them that it's impossible. Um, so I look for that kind of ending in a zombie movie because I think that's, let's be honest, if a zombie apocalypse haps, happens, re- really, and it does manifest itself as fast as it does in these types of movies that we watch for zombie films, I don't really see much fucking hope for the living. So realistically, I want a zombie movie to reflect that. And this zombie movie reflected everything I like in a genre that I don't like. So for me, fan fantastic. I don't really have any. I have a complaint, but I gotta leave it till spoilers. All right, uh, moods. Will you keep the streak of, of <laughs> like the, the going or not? Let's hear it. Uh, yeah, man. I actually really enjoyed this movie. Also, um, I, I won't lie. I didn't really know much about of it you know about it going into it and um so i was pleasantly surprised you know by the the initial tone of the film it was taking itself super serious but it was actually working i completely agree with uh with venom too about um the first and third acts being the strong points in this film i love the opening act where it's you know it's it's the initial of it and stuff and then it jumps to like six months later and then it it does kind of get really slow in the middle of the film I think that uh, the pacing actually has hurt a little bit for myself, but it does pick itself up in the third act and stuff. But I think overall, man, the movie was packing a lot of punch for me, man. The social commentary was there. It's very, very relevant as I'm Canadian and we've dealt with a lot of this stuff, um, you know, head on and stuff. So that was really cool to see um, this type of approach. I mean, the metaphor is pretty obvious. It's pretty it's not subtle at all of what they're trying to do. And, and I have no problem with that at all. Um, I like the fact that they called them Zeds. That's very Canadian. I thought that was very funny, too, because it's funny because I, I'm on the West Coast and I say Z and it's, I don't know about you, Heather, but there's parts of Canada where if you actually say Z, they get offended by it. You like people get yeah. pissed off when you say Z and I'm like, I've heard <laughs> of these stories before. I've never had actually anyone specifically jump on my ass for saying Z, but I've always said Z instead of said. So I just when I when they started calling them Zeds, I thought that was fucking hilarious, man. I'm like, that's amazing. And, and Zedsicles. That was pretty funny. <laughs> really good stuff. But yeah, man, I, I was pleasantly shocked by the commentary in this film. Like and the fact that it's set in 1981, which we'll get into later, which is just it, it turns into a historical period piece. You know, especially for me and Heather, we probably know a little bit about that stuff. You guys might also know, too. But uh, but there's just a lot of stuff going on with the characters, like the inner struggles with, you know, how, you know, the whites have enslaved them and stuff. And then they got to deal with their own demons, like Jerry said, too, you know, with drugs and alcohol and things like that within the communities in which we kind of created. Um, I think there's just, it, there's a lot of power here, man. The effects were really good. Um, I was pleasantly surprised for I would probably say 90 percent of the effects were actually practical, you know, Um there is one there is one kill in it that was CG that actually kind of made me laugh, but I thought it was actually pretty well done. Cinematography was great. Uh, I thought the locations, the sets, the just the whole aesthetic of the film, I thought was really cool. I liked um, I liked the shadow to Fulci in it, man. The bridge, the zombies walking on the bridge. I'm I'm assuming that's a shadow to to zombie. I took it as 
I totally do. Especially the overhead shot, right? And you see the zombies right. kind of yeah, coming. Yeah, that's why I. That's but, kind of why I figured it was right yeah. on or because of that. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I actually really liked how they put the Canadian twist on it, and they had the big snowplow, and the yeah, zombies were literally great. just walking into it and disintegrating. <laughs> I was like, that is amazing. That that's really really awesome. So, um, but yeah, no, I I thought it was uh, really really good. I do have a couple minor complaints. I said a little bit with the middle with the pacing and stuff. I I feel like it lost a little bit of focus at that time. You know, the characters were interesting enough to keep you kind of you know making your way through the narrative into the third act and stuff but it does kind of come to a halt i think some of the editing is a little bit jarring at times i think mostly in the you know maybe the end of the second act leading into the third i feel like there's just points where it's just all of a sudden there's characters here and then they're here and i was like what i was like holy crap did i miss something i'm like i don't think i did um the grandfather was amazing in this film i think he was fucking awesome absolutely loved him did takashi miike write the grandfather Right, like, <laughs> right. I, I just like. Come I on, really this enjoy, really looks like it. I enjoy the yeah, fact he was making me think of like of some Jedi samurai the way he was. <laughs> I'm assuming that this director is probably from that actual reserve, hence he, you know, based in his films and stuff like that. And I'm glad he didn't get too stereotypical and just have you know the natives killing with hatchets and bow and arrows and stuff. You know, in this one they actually had swords and you know guns and shit. So it was actually kind giant of giant cool. axe. Right. Yes. So it, it was kind of cool. Um, and I really do like, you know, the whole commentary with, you know, the natives and, uh, you know, you know, them with their kind of immunity and stuff. I thought that was really interesting. I thought that was probably one of the coolest things about the film. But overall, solid, solid films, minor complaints. But I really enjoyed how it was super somber and it was quiet. It was a really, really quiet film. It doesn't have this overpowering score that just takes it away. And you're just like, oh, yeah, this is great. This is great. No, it, it has that somber approach to it. And it kind of keeps that that real kind of low frequency uh, tone to the whole film. And it's uh, and it kind of ends on that note, too, which is kind of cool, too. So, yeah. but yeah, I, I, gotta, I, I recommend it. Yeah. I got to jump on something you said, Moods, uh, where you said it's set in the 80s. Mm-hmm. It does a such a good job of not making that the focus. A lot of times now when a movie's set in the 80s, it fucking wants you to know that it's the You know 80s. what, Jerry? You know what, Jerry? I've said this in a million reviews before, and I love when movies are set in, you know, retro times in the 80s or whatever. But I hate when directors keep reminding the viewer over and over and over and over again that it's set in the 80s. Yeah, in, I in legit- the time. It's like. You know, with this one, they didn't even have the mute. Like, there was no music to remind you. It was just, okay, it's set in 1981, which is a very, uh, you know, it's a very, um, you know, interesting year because of the whole Trudeau <laughs> thing and stuff. But yeah. uh, so, but it doesn't remind you. It keeps, it doesn't play that music. It doesn't keep reminding you and stuff. So you just kind of forget about that. And I love that about it. I think that yeah, works. I legit perfect. forgot that it was set yeah. in the 80s until you said it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I love that, man. It's really good. So, I mean, I, you know, I'm a big fan of, you know, soundtracks and being reminded at points but in this one it's just like it didn't need to and it, w- it was a focus point so it's good i recommend it all right donna nelly let's hear from you yeah i i mean i without going into spoilers i can't really add much because venom nailed this the first and third act sell this one completely uh, like mood said the second act doesn't really become a detriment but it's just more of a distraction because the the setup to this is one of the best i've seen so far in terms of i like the quiet underlining um ideas that we get that the virus is happening 
going on in the background where, I mean, we'll get into it more, but it's that quiet build and then it's just all out pandemonium. Like the way it jumps into it is one of my favorite scenes so far, but it's just, I'm not a walking dead fan, so I don't really give two shits about who survives. (laughs) I need to know who survives, but that's it. Just so I know what I can attach a name to a face. Other than that, I don't care. You know, my philosophy for zombie films has always been show me who survives and turn the film into a special effects technician's showpiece reel. That's what works for me with zombie films is get the situation set up and then go to town taking them out. Wow. Don and I are so far apart on this genre. (laughs) It is not even funny. Yeah, I don't really care for people in the zombie apocalypse. I just want them. I just want to see people get ripped to pieces. Like, show me. <laughs> so essentially, you don't care about com- you don't care about commentary and stuff, then. As long as it's not beating me over the head with it. Like, okay, for well, me, the one that I, <laughs> the one that, the one that I always say that works the best for me is the Romero's original trilogy. That's where I don't mind it because I think that's why I there. love commentary and I find zombie films work so well with social commentary is because of what Romero accomplished with his films. And this is kind of a direct, you know, result of that. You know, I, I feel like it's very much, you know, a spawn from that and, you know, fall and things like that too. But I think it's great. I love the commentary. It keeps yeah. you interested. It keeps you interested, man. So, yeah, it's not one where I'm going to specifically search it out because there it's there. It's just one where, okay, yeah, I see the point. All right, move along. Now, where's the gut bunch? Mm-hmm. Like, that's always been my philosophy with zombie films. Now, like I said, I don't mind it if it's there. It's going to beat me over the head and say, look, look, this is what we're trying to say, moron. You know, get with the program. As it's taking a sledgehammer and trying to hammer it into my head. I don't like that kind of an approach. I, that's why I don't like the latter three in Romero's zombie trilogy. I don't like that kind of social commentary. I like the way he did it in the first one, where it's not the focus. It's there, but if you don't if you don't see it, it's not necessarily a detriment. Because I didn't know what... For me, I didn't know that Dawn was actually a commentary piece until, like, 2010. Like, seriously, I had no idea that Dawn of the Dead was even a commentary piece until then. So... <laughs> To me, that shows, yeah, I had no idea. And that's when I finally figured it out. But that's what I like about the zombie films is that it's not prevalent. It's not like beating you over the head with it. But if it's there and you can look past it and still enjoy the film, I don't mind it. And this is one of the films that I'm going to say does the social commentary right, where I didn't mind that I was being told it. But I did find the treatment of the, the the treatment of the natives against you know by the locals and the indigenous tribes and all that. I got what they were trying to say. I mean, I'm probably pretty sure that you and Heather would fill me in on that because not being a Canadian, I'm probably missing ninety percent of it. But I got that that's where the general mindset was. But like I said, overall, yeah, I really had fun with it. The first and third acts are great. The slow in- introduction of the virus into the society and how it spreads is great. 
the wall-to-wall action at the end is keeps me in, entertained. Practical gore effects, practical zombie makeup. I found it a win. All right, next up, Heather. Let's hear what our second Canadian of the show has to say about it. Well, thank you, Mike. Um, I echo what everyone else said about the zombie movie. I don't think I can go into much more detail on that. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the kills. Um, I do agree that it, it, you know, dragged a little bit in the second act, but it definitely picked up towards the end. It kept me engaged, um, but this was very much a Canadian social commentary, but it wasn't in your face. I I agree 110% with my Canadian brother-in-arms over there. Now, I have been to this community. I have been to uh, Kanata Waki. I've drove over that bridge. Um, I went there as an employment counselor when I used to work in community services, and I did a presentation because I used to work with uh, very barriered individuals looking for work. And let me tell you, um, and and I'm sure Moose can speak to this, in Quebec it's French first, it's English second, and it's very clear, and then there's um, Indigenous languages last. And this community that they filmed this in is on a separate island. And when I was watching the bridge, I'm like, oh my God, I was there. And then I looked at the community and I said, oh my God, I was there. I saw... The rundown houses. I saw the um, the clear poverty that mm-hmm. was happening with over a bridge. And I'm not trying to say that every single indigenous community looks like that by any stance of the imagination, but it was very, very relevant. And what I really respected about this movie is it it took on those issues without stabbing it you know, in your face kind of thing. And 1981 was a very big year in our in our country. It was a charter of rights and freedoms and many other things that occurred during that time. And I, there were subtleties. There was, there was discussion about the alcoholism that occurs in, in indigenous communities. Mm-hmm. There was subtleties about the drug abuse. And there yeah. was also a reflection of reverse colonization that occurred when the, when the apocalypse took over. And there were subtleties that I think a Canadian would catch. And I'm not trying to you know, make it an attack at Americans or anything like that. But I don't know if an American would. To me, this was a very, very Canadiana film. I am mm-hmm. surprised that they did not go with because this was in Quebec and being in that community. I know what they dealt with with the francophone population. I'm surprised they didn't go there and they just referred them to them as townies. Um, but yeah, it was a very to me. This is how you do a social commentary to educate people about issues that exist in indigenous communities while throwing in a zombie movie to make it entertaining enough that you can just walk in there and watch a zombie film. You can just enjoy it for a zombie film, whatever that may be, enjoy some gore, enjoy some relationships that occur, or you can really look at this from a lens of um, what indigenous people have faced and what they, and the reversism of it. And there's even a couple of lines that when Venom will get to in this, in this movie that really stood out for me um, where we were reversing the roles of a power in that community. And I thought yeah. that that was really, really interesting. I agree with what Moose has to say. And I, and I really, as I said, I believe this is a Canadiana film and even New Brunswick, which was their other choice location um, is a big Francophone community too. So I thought that was also really interesting that it wasn't tied in as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't know if you want to add stuff onto that Moose Cause I feel like I actually wanted to ask you something. Um, yeah. 
with uh, the language with the Micmacs in that specific area, do they speak English or do they speak French? Because I have a, a good buddy and his dad actually comes from that background. His dad's like half Micmac or whatever, but he was like fluent in French and stuff. Yeah. And, but he speaks like obviously fluent English and stuff over here. But uh, do they speak do they speak? French or English? Well, that's the hard part. So in this community, some people speak neither. They just okay. speak whatever. And there's many dialects, right, in, in the For sure. Right? So, and some of them speak French because in Quebec, it is French first. Like, that, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, you, know, you go to Montreal and, like, you're going to get through with some English and stuff. But you go outside of Montreal and it is very clear how they teach, treat people that don't speak French. So, and mm-hmm. then there are the some that speak French and English because English is the language of the rest of Canada and, and the world. Like that's the that's the language that is used internationally. So basically, to answer your question, the better educated and the better resources you have, you have the more languages you speak. If you don't have those resources, yeah. the less. Yeah, I was curious because there was a point in the film where you know one of the one of the white dudes is screaming at you know the Micmac dude, and he's like, "Speak yeah. English, speak English." Yeah. And, I, and I'm thinking to myself, and I'm like. I wonder if this is like, you know, proper because because they're obviously speaking English throughout the whole film. And I was wondering if that's like the language that they actually speak in that specific area. But it depends. Right. So I worked with employment counselors. Right. So I was Mm -hmm. instructing them. So they speak English. They speak everything. But you go through the realms like I can tell you from crossing that bridge. It was like going. So I left Montreal and and went over that bridge and it was like going to a third world country. Like it was it was. Like for me, I had never been in that experience and it was an eye opener. Like this little Mm -hmm. fucking white girl from Ontario was like, holy fuck. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's so crazy, man. It's so crazy. When I lived in Vancouver and I was at music when I was going to music school, um, I met a guy in my in my class that, you know, was looking for a roommate and stuff. And he was he's a native guy from New Brunswick. And so we hit it off right away. And he's out here and he'd never been this far west before. And he's like, dude, he's like, all the natives around here look so different. They look so weird. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, dude, they're all so poor. He's like, I feel so bad for him. Cause like he comes from like a really rich res. Right. Yeah. yeah and like he's like, you know, he, yeah. he used to tell me like his res was really nice. They had lots of money, but you know, they dealt with the drugs and alcohol and very, very high suicide rate and stuff. So he dealt with that stuff and, you know, the violence, but he had like a, came from a really nice area and stuff. And he's like, I don't get it out here. Like, what's going on? I'm like trying to explain to him. And it's just, it's like different worlds, right? Completely it, different worlds. It is, and it depends how you know. We could go into talk about elders and how they spend money and all that other stuff. <laughs> but yeah. I think what I really liked about this film is, is basically, I think you and I are reckoning the same thing. This is very much a Canadiana film, which I think it's really nice that I'm on here with another Canadian. Um, mm. But also, it's a great zombie film, and I think that these gentlemen are bringing some really solid points about the fact that you can enjoy it as just a zombie film. You know, For you sure. don't yeah. you don't have to. And like Don said, this isn't about like look at the social commentary. Like I feel Canadians will pick up on this more especially maybe canadians that are a little more savvy and understand things a little bit more um but it's not in your face constantly and you can still just watch it and just enjoy some kick-ass scenes but yeah those are my thoughts mike hey venom yes sir remind me never to book two canadians on one show again (laughs) I was actually going to ask you if that was purposely done because, like I said, I didn't really know much going into this. I've been just kind of ignorant with newer films lately because I've been trying to prep for so many other things. But it's just, did you plan that out with me and Heather on purpose? Because we're no. So for this specific episode, how it went down was uh, Venom suggested the movie. Then I think I mentioned it in the Fresh Cuts chat, and Heather just happened to be the first person to. I think she had already watched it. So she was like, Hey, I'll jump on. I was like, okay. And 
And before anyone else even said anything, I just asked you because mm. I've been ha- having you on lately when I can just because the scheduling works. And you said, okay, I'll try because your b- weekend was busy. Mm-hmm. And then it seemed like you were leaning towards being able to do it. So I was like, cool. And then other people obviously started to say, hey, I watched it or I'll jump. I was like, okay. And, you know, we don't always have a cast this big, but I'm like, man, it's quarantine. Like everyone's home watching movies. Who who cares? I'll throw a, a bunch of people on. But um, I was just kidding about that two Canadian thing, though. I'm actually this glad you guys are playing our here. takeover moves. Remember, afterwards we talk. <laughs> yeah. Hey, the most polite hey. takeover ever. <laughs> Listen, yeah. it's not always on better on top. Okay, you ain't whipped cream. So calm down. <laughs> Fresh cuts of caribou. <laughs> um. So yeah, after after five people already spoke on it, I'm kind of in the same boat as Heather. There's not a lot to add. I mean, I just can I guess add on to what other people say. You know about um the movie being a very uh Canadian centric. I agree. Like as an American watching it, I think I picked up on some of the more general obvious themes, kind of like, you know, the zombies almost being allegories for like, you know, outside invaders. I, I, you know, coming into their land, kind of disrupting their way of life. But I also found it a neat kind of uh, twist, maybe not a twist, but a neat um, uh, story arc, I guess that they, the indigenous people were immune to the zombies. However, what did the immunity not do? Help them handle their internal problems that they have on their own um, reservation. I thought that was a kind of a good allegory for like, yes, there's problems that, uh, you know, that are caused by the outside, but we also have our own issues that we need to straighten up ourselves in order to, you know, make life better for all of us. So I thought that was a, a neat way to kind of tie that in. Um, I also, you know, I love these smaller scale zombie stories that you're seeing pop up where, you know, they take a smaller location, smaller set. This is obviously way outside of a metropolitan area. We're not having just hordes and hordes and hordes of zombies. Um, I think, you know, in a genre that has mimicked Romero so much, and not so much, just depending on who's making the movies. I think anytime you can bring a new setting that's not often used, uh, you know, different types of people from different backgrounds and, and uh, feature them in this movie. And I think going back, I, I want to say it was Herring who said it first, but when zombie movies, the, 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 to me, the best zombie movies are really the ones that make it about the people because zombies are zombies. By now, we pretty much know how they're going to act. Yes, they're small uh, differences from movie to movie, director to director on how they'll be. But for the most part, we know a zombie is a zombie. We know what they're going to do. But it's it's really the people, the characters themselves, how they handle it, how they uh, you know, rectify the internal struggle between their own community, um, everyone's different ways of thinking how to handle the problem, the best way to move forward, and all the conflict and strife that rises from that alone. I think it always makes for a great movie, and this one had a lot of that. I also agree, I forgot who said it, but the the opening, when that, that first keys us into, like, something's off, I love that scene. It's just so subtle, but, but it gets the point across that something's abnormal here, and uh, obviously we know where it's going to lead to but 
you know, I don't have a much more general thoughts just because I, I agree with what most everyone said. I really enjoyed this one. And I think that it, you know, it wasn't purposely planned, but having two Canadians here, they're obviously going to shed light a little more on the, you know, local themes and politics or just allegories that are going on other than just the, the very general vague ones that I picked up. But yeah, I would highly recommend this one for people who haven't seen it. I mean, Shudder, who, who really doesn't have it now in this community, but uh, check it out. I would say it's it's uh, streaming. It's available. Shudder's five bucks a month or free for 30 days if you sign up. And that, no, that, I didn't get paid for that. <laughs> that was the irony of this, man. I was like, go to I go to Shudder to watch it, and I'm like, it's not on Canadian Shutter. I'm like, what the hell? This is a Canadian I movie. I, I don't understand that, especially if it's a Shutter original, which yeah. I always, I've always wanted to ask. Uh, is it a Shutter original in the sense that Shutter helped make it, or is yeah. Shutter just distributing it? Shutter had nothing to do with the production of this film. It was picked up at the Toronto International Film Festival. After it premiered on opening night, Shutter bought the distribution rights that day. Okay, then it's not a fucking Shutter original. So Shutter, it's just calm exclusive your shit to down. them. It's yeah, just it's okay. still an exclusive for whatever. But they, reason. but they also say Shutter exclusive a lot. And when I was watching this, I was like, "Huh, this is a Shutter original. They made this." And I was like, "I don't feel like they made this." So I just wanted to ask. Yeah, I, I know Shutter does do that. They'll say Shutter originals when. It's not really a Shutter production. They should probably change it to exclusive because that makes more sense. Didn't it used to be exclusive? I, maybe they just changed it because Netflix uses the original thing, but that, that, it doesn't really make sense. Kind of false advertising because Netflix actually does do original mm-hmm. content, right? They actually make some of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, Shutter so. doesn't have Netflix money, so they're not actually making as much content yeah. as we'd like to think. Exactly. Sure. Um, I gotta ask a question okay. to see okay. if I can talk about this or if I need to wait. There's a specific scene in the beginning of the second act that I feel like nails this movie, and it's so fucking subtle, and it's about when the uh, we first see them six months after and the white guy shows up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not what – it's what happens when he gets inside – uh, the oh. the community. I would wait. Wait, yeah. okay. Yeah, and you I think I know what I'll you're talking it. about. Yeah, I would wait. <laughs> okay, I'll wait. All right. Well, the one that note. we're going to be done. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, there's a couple more things that we could talk about that are fairly spoiler-free. That I think, um, if there's people listening to this episode who haven't watched the movie yet, that we can kind of address. We no one has talked about the animated sequences. Uh, this movie oh. has three short animated sequences they're very short no dialogue um they're literally probably like five seconds long each but they're just kind of um they kind of fade into them yeah yeah like the first one showing uh the pregnant girl sitting on the mound of green grass but in the background it's all just apocalyptic and shit you know Mm -hmm. kind of giving the uh the metaphor of hope and you could see the grass underneath are actually getting longer. It's actually growing as she's laying on it or kneeling on it, I believe. Um, I loved all three of those. Um, there's one for a character named Charlie. 
There's one for a character named Lysol, and then there's one for Grandpa, who I, I forget his actual name in the movie, but yeah, which most people call him Grandpa. Lysol is the weirdest uh, indigenous name I've ever heard of. Kind of, well, yeah. Well, but, that's kind of a stereotype and kind of a derogatory thing, at least in the West Coast in BC. And really? Then, if you said Lysol to a native person, they'd be like, motherfucker, shut why? your fucking mouth. Because it's a it's it's kind of a stereotype over here that native people drink Lysol and get shit faced oh. off Lysol. It's a major problem. Oh. Because, <laughs> so it's kind of like we, a huffing thing. Yeah, we have a lot of places around here that like if you are native, like you're not allowed in the liquor stores, man. And like there's places like they won't sell scope and Lysol and stuff at like, you know, the shoppers and drug markets and stuff like that to native people because they have those substance problems, right? So if you, you start calling someone Lysol, it's probably very derogatory, man. Like, I, when I first heard his name was Lysol, I was like, what the fuck? That explains so Actually, I actually though, didn't right? even laugh at it. I didn't even laugh at it. I was like, that's not even funny. At least it that, is on the West Coast. So well, that like, explains this is also so much. That's 30 years ago, right? We got to think right. of what other terms were used 30 <clears throat> ago too right for so, sure yeah th- and then really did anybody else think character. lysol was only half native because he didn't look anything like his brother they are and i, I understand they're half brothers the yeah movie, they are half brothers yeah but yeah they never explained what happened well i guess i'll save that i don't know how much of that is spoilers even though i they mean don't it's not it. even really brought up in the movie so I'm, yeah as that's far my as, like lysol's like, mother all uh, we know about Lysol's mother is that we know who the dad is, and we know something happened to his mother that got Lysol, like, kind of disowned by the community. Right. But mm-hmm. they never explain yeah. that, which kind of no. bothered me. Um, but but then, could, ultimately, Lysol could be the example of the blood quantum in this movie, too. Um, for those who don't know, blood quantum actually is a, a term that is uh, about 200 years old. Um, it is uh, it's a term that was first coined during the um, American and the peace treaties with the original 13 native colonies uh, back in the 1800s, 1700s, I believe. Um, basically, what blood quantum is, is the thinning out of native blood from uh, both the body and the community. So basically, if someone who's 100 percent native marries a Caucasian, their child is then 50-50. If that child then goes and marries and has a child with another Caucasian, that child is now only 25% Native. So basically, it was kind of a plan by the American government to thin out Native blood in our country by marrying them off to white women and their mm-hmm. women to white men. Um, and it's actually used... Uh, Nowadays, it's actually used in laws. There's actually something called blood quantum laws where um, the Native Americans uh, themselves or the natives, the indigenous people themselves are the ones who dictate who is native and who isn't. Rather than having a solid number of you have to be at least 50 percent native blood to be considered native, that distinction is left to the Council of Elders in the native, um, you know communities so what actually uh, so yeah the blood quantum is kind of the thinning of native blood yeah yeah what actually Uh, is um the percentage that you need in canada to get like your status card is it 132nd or is it one so i think um i have the friends that i know that have it you have to be at least half my understanding because my my great-grandfather was full blood and i'm not able to get it so, you know what? I'm wondering if that's if, if that's different from province to province, too. It could be. Well, no, but that's that's a federal thing. 
It's federal. Indigenous um, mm-hmm. stuff is federal across Canada. That is true. That is true. So yeah, whereas here, it's not federal. It, right? Yeah. yeah, I'm wondering if yeah. they changed because they have changed that a couple times. Because I remember back have, in the yeah. day, I remember back in the day, people talking about, oh, they were 132nd, they were getting like tax breaks and stuff, and I was like, what? I was like, this is crazy. Like they started going so through his family tree. <laughs> to no. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm honestly pretty yeah, I'm, blank, man. Like I, my family on both sides is like straight from England. Like, uh, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, like one, I'm like 120th actually, because my grandfather. My grandfather was um, Native American um, for a tribe over here in California. So I'm, I think they said I'm 120th. Hmm. So Interesting ratio. So 50%. Yeah, that's crazy. Wow. That's what I believe <laughs> it is right now. I could okay. be wrong. Yeah, um, I, I'm not sure. I it know, has like changed. I said, You're right. It's changed many, many a times, actually. Yes, for sure yeah. it has. Yeah, so. 50% yeah. seems excessive. Though. But that's if you're mixed, though, right? Like, that's what we're talking about. So if you right, stay, right. right, like, if you marry outside of the indigenous bloodlines, right? There used to be things about even living on the reserves and stuff like that as well. That's relaxed over the years. Um, I'm honestly, like, as I said, like, I have it very distant and we applied and we didn't get it. So I don't, and I have a friend that has it who's half. So that's what I assume. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's really kind of subjective knowledge. It's not like yeah, I, I know. I know a lot of the education and stuff and things like that all works differently. Also, I yeah, know out does. here and stuff. Yeah, like yeah. I got a buddy. He's he's a native guy and he, you know, he had all of his uh, post, you know, um, high school paid for and things like that. And, you know, just the tax breaks and things like that. And I have another buddy, too, that he just doesn't want any part of that. Yeah, like, honestly, he he's he's a full native guy and he pays taxes and he paid for all the schooling. He just doesn't want to be treated like that. It's really, it's really interesting. Well, sometimes so. it's, it's, it's more, um, um, isolating or whatever. It there's more challenges of being associated with the community than being not associated with the community, right? Hundred yeah. percent. Depending. Anyway, we're getting really Canadian on this talk. Yeah, I know from BC to Quebec, like every province has, you know, it's so different and stuff with that. But yeah. You can listen to mine and Moose's new show, Talking Canada, that we're going to be <laughs> Canadian geography. I'll get Christian there, Politics too. Politics will be great. Yeah, why not? Great. Hey, Ontario, yeah. hey Venom. Uh, yes, sir? When I was watching the animated sections, I, the only thing I could think of was, oh, so we can redo the animated sequences in Godzilla vs. Hedorah, and we can do them better. Oh. <laughs> yes. Very much so. <laughs> Though I didn't mind those all that much either, but they, they're they a product of their time, ultimately. Yeah. In Hedorah, so yeah. But anyway, back to Blood Quantum. Let's. Uh, this is your final spoiler warning. We're going to go into our little scene-by-scene breakdown, which isn't really a scene-by-scene breakdown, because I always forget at least a couple of scenes. But hopefully I remember all the important ones. Our movie opens up with an older gentleman fishing out on a lake he's pulling um salmon up onto his boat rather large salmon i might add uh taking them back to his um cabin he is gutting the fish uh you could see that he's already gut about four or five of these very large salmon and then suddenly one of them starts to move starts to flap its tail suddenly all of them start flopping around they've all been gutted and they are flopping around. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we have zombie fish. And I personally love it. I think that is a great little setup. It's not action-packed. It's very subtle. But it instantly gives you an idea of what you're dealing with. You know, and the that, dead, and that the, the zombie thing 
it affects mm-hmm. animals in this movie too. Yes, which not is every, always a question. Yeah, not every movie. It's showing that their immunity is even more powerful too, because most zombie films, animals don't get affected, but in this case, they do. Yeah. And you know, the natives. And are they even mentioned like infected. later on that like deers and shit are not getting infected. So, like, only certain animals are getting infected, like, because there's a point where they're talking about, like, hunting later on in the movie. And they're like, don't yeah, eat anything made... from the water. Yeah, because they made the I'm... deer if you. Yeah, I remember that conversation okay, that they had. My statement. No, I'm just saying is that I remember that conversation that they had where they're saying we have to hunt on the land. It can't be through the water. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just saying I remember that conversation, yeah. Well, thanks for interrupting me to let everyone know, Don. I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm glad the audience uh, knows. I don't know where you're going, so. But you didn't. Okay. I'll, I'm going to be nice. And continue, Venom. All right. So, um, throughout this opening scene, we're given some beautiful shots of the scenery. You know, um, a lot of flat land there in the uh, Micmac Reservation. They call it the Red Crow Reservation. Uh, we are set in 1981, as is mentioned earlier. Um, so that's our cold open with uh, the fishermen. Uh, we then get our title card, and we go to our first scene with the sheriff, who's named Trailer. Um, he is the sheriff of the town. He is uh, receiving multiple phone calls about strange events going on that morning. He ends up going to the house of uh, an indigenous uh, tribe member called Moon. His name is Moon. He's the rather large guy uh, that we end up hating by the end of the movie, but we'll get to that. That's Gary Farmer. (laughs) Yes, Gary Farmer, exactly. Um, So basically what happened is uh, Moon reports that there is a dog dying in his backyard, Uh, He thinks that it might have gotten into some garbage and potentially, you know, ate something that was poisonous to him. Um, Obviously, we know what kind of movie we're watching, so we can make the assumption of what actually happened to the dog. And um, Trailer basically puts the dog out of its misery with a single gunshot. It's after the gunshot, it's revealed that the dog actually belongs to his ex-wife, Joss, who we are about to meet in the next scene. He takes the dog, puts it in his trunk to deal with later, the dog's body to deal with later. He then goes to see Joss because he hears, because one of the calls that he got this morning was about his own son, Joseph, who has been arrested overnight. And they mention uh, when he's talking to Joss, Joss reveals to him that, oh, yeah, Lysol was with him. Obviously, at this point, we don't know who Joseph and Lysol are. Um as it turns out, of course, they are half-brothers. Trailer is both of their fathers, but Joss is only mother to Joseph. We don't love- really hear much exposition about Lysol's uh, mother. Go ahead, Moods. I like when he calls him a sperm donor. He gets all pissed <laughs> off and throws the beer. <laughs> and calls him a sperm donor. I, I mean, like, hey, your I haven't dad's heard a cop. Say, Yeah, I haven't heard that term in so long. It actually made me laugh out loud. I was like, sperm donor. <laughs> <laughs> I know a few people who still use that term, but... It's funny. That, that's another story. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, like I said, we're introduced to Joseph and Lysol, half-brothers who are both sons of Trailer. Um, when asked why he's in jail, uh, the boy tells his mother that he was caught vandalizing some cars, but then we get the actual truth of what happened. As it turns out, Joseph, in a drunken stupor, decides to climb on top of a bridge 
and take a shit on the next <laughs> passing car. And this kid's aim is amazing because he totally. nailed the windshield. I don't know how that, he must have been practicing for years because I don't think I could do that on first try. But anyway, <laughs> he um, so, of course, you know, he's arrested for that. Why Lysol is with him is beyond me because or why Lysol was arrested with him is because Lysol is not actually shown in that scene with Joseph mm-hmm. on the bridge. I'm not sure if Lysol was defending him. Uh, you know, too loudly, potentially, or aggressively, but for whatever it's worth, they're both they're both arrested. Um, we then go to the jailhouse uh, later in the afternoon, where Joss and Trailer meet to bail out their son, uh, well, sons for Trailer. And while they're in there, there there's a third person in the holding cell with them. That person is uh, heard vomiting into the toilet while while Joseph and um, I forgot his name already, Lysol, are having a conversation. Uh, then the man just kind of keels over, vomiting blood, stops moving for a minute, and then he starts moving again. And obviously, we get our first look at the zombies of Blood Quantum. A fairly basic design, nothing too special. You know, you got the glossed over eyes, the white kind of glazed over eyes, you know, bloody mouth because he's just been um, vomiting blood. He ends up attacking uh, a police officer that's on duty. Uh, that officer ends up getting bit. I don't think we actually see him again in the film, so I'm not sure. Well, we can assume what his fate was, of course. Uh, yeah, and jail, then that jailhouse sequence is really good, though. The, the yeah. prisoner just vomited up. Like, it was really well done, and I don't know if because it was kind of like dimly lit somewhat that it just helped the the blood effects of when he was just vomiting up blood, but it was, it was like the volume of how much blood it, it was, it was pretty gross, but it was really well done. And the, uh, the other two guys in there just kind of, they were, you know, at some point they're banging on the door, like, uh, you need to let us the hell out of here. Like this yeah. dude's freaking sick. Obviously they don't know he's about to turn into a zombie, but just when someone's that sick in your presence, it's like, yeah, you need to come take care of the situation. Yep. And um, after the boys are bailed out of jail, then we meet Charlie, who is uh, Joseph's uh, girlfriend. Uh, It's revealed that she just recently found out she's pregnant. Um, She's probably a month or two pregnant at this point. And uh, obviously both of them look very young, high school age, but they have decided to they kind of have conversations about uh, potential uh, potential abortion. But that gets squashed pretty quickly. Um, and then, uh, let's see, it, it, the day progresses and becomes just a bigger and bigger shit show. Eventually trailers called to the house of another gentleman who is also, who is married with a pregnant wife. Uh, when he shows up at the man's house, uh, the man is, you know, yelling about his wife and, you know, that she's attacking him and he's not able to talk sense into her, blah, blah, blah. Uh, when trailer then goes upstairs, we get our first bit of zombie gore, and we don't really see directly, but we see it from behind that, yes, the mother has become a zombie, and she is feasting on her newborn child. Now, um, later in the movie, it's kind of hypothesized that potentially the child died in the womb, and became a zombie in the womb and then, you know, started eating mom 
you know, out from the inside. And potentially that could be what caused mom's zombification as well. All hypothesis, but, you know, seems valid. So yeah, we'll it go did look it. like a fetus. It kind of looked like a fetus. Yeah, it was really thin. Like it didn't yeah. look like it was fully developed. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's see. Um, you know, we have so, we have some more um, character development scenes, like with Joss driving Joseph back home. They have some conversations about, you know, the choices that he makes. That he's got a good head on his shoulders, but that his decision making is shit, uh, which seems valid. We get a little bit of a scene with Trailer and. Uh, Lysol, which Moods already kind of alluded to, where the scene ends with uh, Lysol calling Trailer a sperm donor and throwing his beer bottle. By the way, he's he's sitting behind the wheel drinking a beer in front of his sheriff <laughs> father, so that's entitlement right there. You know what, man? That's that's just Canada. Moods and I are like, no, no, that's just how it rolls. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that's true we drink a lot like a lot <clears throat> so yeah so like i said he um trailer is then attacked by the woman who is eating her fetus uh and she ends up biting trailer on the arm uh this is where we kind of start to realize that the indigenous people here are not or have some sort of immunity to the zombie virus trailer never turns he, he doesn't even pass out he handles it like a champion because at um, this but, point, it's three uh, people that have been bit that are uh, Native American and have not turned. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And then the wife, uh, you know, the, the the same woman who bit trailer does come out and eventually bites her husband, um, which, of course, he survives his bite as well. Um, trailer ends up just crushing her head with the butt of a rifle, doesn't actually shoot her. Uh, just beats the hell out of her till her head is basically a bloody pulp. So we get our first kind of, uh, you know, between the fetus baby and then this kill, you know, we uh, the movie is kind of setting its tone for how gory it's going to be. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of Fulci gore right there. Yeah. A little bit, yeah. Shit, it was like totally Fulci. Those, those type of kills are always brutal where it's just the butt of a gun just yeah. over and over or it just really any blunt up an object yeah. smashing yeah. a head till it's just like mush. And I like his <laughs> his really subtle reaction to it when they're driving away. He's like, I think I killed her. Yeah. Like, he's not really <laughs> freaky out, but you can tell inside of his head he's, like, trying to, like, figure out what the fuck just happened. Yeah. Come to terms with what he just did. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Oh, my God. Um. So, yeah. So, already the tone has been set. Um. Trailer then drives the husband or is attempting to drive the husband back uh, or to a hospital. Um, unfortunately, the bridge that leads to the hospital has been blocked by multiple car accidents, including an ambulance that was supposed to be coming for uh, the husband and pregnant wife, because uh, apparently they had been waiting all night for an ambulance. Uh, the townies never showed up. Obviously, at this point, the indigenous people don't know what's going on outside of the reservation. So obviously outside of the reservation, it's a little bit more serious than it is inside. Um, but yeah, we see the ambulance driver basically get back up after he reanimates. Joss is there to shoot him in the head. And then Joseph then gets attacked, the son, inside the back of the ambulance by a, uh, a woman that was back there on a gurney. 
Um, so yet again, another indigenous member um, not, you know, succumbing to the zombie virus. And then we all, and then we get a great chainsaw kill here, where uh, the, fe- the the female zombie is on top of Joseph, trying to get a bite out of him. And from behind comes one of their um, indigenous brothers with a chainsaw, literally puts it right through the back of her head and out the top. Very cool effect. No cutaway at all. You get the whole effect. It's yeah, very it awesome. Great. Great. I mean, Moods' comment about Fulci is spot on. This gore is spectacular. Mm-hmm. I would have. This looks like a modern Italian film. It's so cool, yet still having that very solid Canadian aesthetic. I mean, <laughs> great filmmaking, you know, being displayed here. Uh, we get a scene with um, Grandpa, uh, whose name is Goosey. Uh, let's see, Gisi is his real name. I don't know if they actually used it in the movie because everybody either called him Grandpa or Old Man. So I'm just going to go with Grandpa. But that's Stone Horse Lone Goman, that fucking native name that I love. I fucking love that name. I will name my only son Stone, Stone Horse if I ever have one. All right. So after that, we, uh, <laughs> we get a scene where Grandpa's basically burning a pile of bodies. And then we get the time jump. Yes. Uh, we get a title card that comes up and says six months later. Yes. The second act starts with a six month jump. Um, and then we get some scenic shots, some kind of aerial shots of the city, the surrounding city around red crow. And it's just decimated. It looks like any other zombie apocalypse post apocalypse, of course, with, you know, broken down cars and, you know, uh, buildings collapsed and on fire and everything else. So, um, obviously, in six months, the world has gone to hell because of this virus. Um, we are then taken to a compound where um, all the native, the indigenous peoples who realize they have an immunity to this whole thing have set up a compound where they are accepting some Caucasian survivors. But um, Lysol has kind of made himself kind of a semi-leader. Uh, when trailer's not around, he's almost like the man in charge, if you will, and he goes corrupt very quickly. I mean, you know, from the f- first time we meet Lysol, we already know that he has uh, sociopathic tendencies. I mean, he flat out is a sociopath, as is proven, you know, as the movie goes along. So in this particular scene, Charlie, who is Joseph's pregnant girlfriend, we now see her with a baby bump because now it is six months later. And she is bringing a group of survivors with her, uh, a couple of people, including an older white gentleman. Well, not older, but like my age, um, with a young daughter uh, wrapped up in a blanket. And he's trying to get inside because the rumor is, is that the indigenous people have actually figured out a cure or a uh, an antibody for it. The rumor wasn't spread correctly that they're just flat out immune. They don't know why they're immune. And honestly, it's never explained to us why they're immune, um, which I'm actually okay with. You know, Um, I'm a huge fan of Lovecraftian horror, cosmic horror. And the whole point of stuff like that is that it's unexplainable. It's unknown. So I'm okay with the unknown element of why these people are uh, immune. But I'm sure there's some social commentary in there if anybody else wants to kind of chime in on that. Um, I'm looking at my Canadians. Yeah, I th- to me, what this was about, and Moods can correct me or agree or whatever, is when um, colonizers came to both of our countries, 
Um, we all know about the blankets and other diseases that they brought. And we, we did wipe out a, a fair amount of the Aboriginal Indigenous population. So I just felt like this was a, a reverse on that, is they're immune and other people are the ones being wiped out. That's how I took yeah. it. Maybe Moose Ab- took it a different way. or Absolutely. That's exactly word for word. Yeah. Okay. It's just definitely a reverse on that, 100%. Yeah. And this is also the scene that Moods was talking about earlier where the father screams to speak English because uh, the natives are all speaking their own tongue, their native language to mm-hmm. each other while they're deciding, are we going to let these people in? Are we going to let this little girl in? They do confirm that the little girl has been bitten. I don't think we really needed a confirmation once we saw you know, the fact that he was carrying her wrapped in a blanket. Um, she's still barely alive, but she has been bitten on the neck. At this point, the daughter does stop breathing. She dies. Dad starts to have his little somber moment of crying. Um, he is pulled away from her, and then we get um, we get one of our first off-screen kills. But this kill works so well because they show um, the character with this giant axe. It's just a big old metal axe, like a battle axe almost, and. Basically, you know, the camera kind of zooms in as he's swinging the axe to the little girl. But between, you know, seeing the weight of the axe and then hearing the sound effects, even though we don't see it, it's still a very visceral scene, in my opinion. Just to hear what is basically a skull being, you know, split in half with a giant axe is, uh, you know, especially it's a little girl. So obviously, you know, the filmmakers aren't going to give us you know, that full on shot, but I think they did a really good job for doing yeah. an off screen. The cinematography is amazing there, man. It's like that fall back kind of aerial shot. It works so exactly. well. Uh, yeah. And the camera rises as yeah, he's yeah. swinging the ax. It's so good. Yeah, the trailer really actually good. ends up killing a little girl because the guy who uses the ax normally says, makes the comment that he's never killed a child and trailer. I don't know if trailer actually has, or if it's just his leadership skills, just taking over for him. But yeah, trailer ends up actually killing the little girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, Can the I add something then... quickly in, yes, Venom, please. do you mind? Mm-hmm. So there's a dialogue that occurs very briefly between one of the indigenous ladies and um, I can't remember her, the character's name and the father. And she says something back and she messes up the daughter's name oh, and right. corrects her. And I don't know what you thought of that moods, but I thought of every indigenous person who's had to change their name to a Caucasian name or a name that's easier for people to pronounce and people still mess it up. That's what that I pulled from that. They may have not been meaning that. It could have just simply been, you know, she's dispensable now. You need to move on. And that could have just been me looking into it and seeing that. But no, I thought it was I really that, clever. I think that's absolutely spot on. 100%. Yeah, that's a valid observation. Yeah, definitely. 100%. Yeah. I didn't think of that. But now that you mention it, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was it. All right. So. After um, after the conversation that Heather just uh, mentioned, we are then shown Joss inside of the compound. She is uh, basically like the medical attendant here at this compound. Um, oh, wait, wait. It was, it, uh, what's up? You skipped the scene I wanted to cover. Which one was that? The, the conversation Heather just had, uh, yeah. was talking about. So as uh, the white dad is being brought in, he has the blanket that his daughter died in oh right which has the blood on it and she goes you cannot bring that in here and takes it and burns it and if Mm -hmm. that scene right there does not represent this entire fucking movie 
I don't know what does because like Heather said earlier when she was talking about when the settlers showed up and spread diseases from blankets and stuff like blankets are a big thing when you talk about uh, the spreading of disease from the white man to the indigenous people. Um, And so for him to bring a blanket that has blood that you could technically, you know, say the zombie disease into their land speaks a fucking lot and for her to take that and then throw it away and burn it even though that's like now the last thing he'll ever have of his daughter just speaks fucking volumes it's such a subtle thing and i don't know if everyone caught that but it's so fucking good and it to me this is my favorite scene in the movie because it's so low-key but it represents the entire movie it speaks fucking volumes and and this is what i was talking about earlier when i said i like uh the because right before this it's literally that girl and and lysol who i now don't want to call lysol that now moods has told me how fucking (laughs) racist that is um you know talking kind of aggressively it's 81 yeah, yeah, talking aggressively about not bringing in these white people. They don't belong here. And, like, that conversation leading up to the blanket and then what happens later in the film. Like, this is the most important scene in the fucking movie to me. I think you're right, Jerry. And if we talk about Canadian history there, it's like looking at residential schools where we removed um, – indigenous children and remove them of their culture and everything that he knew which you could symbolize as the blanket this is the last thing he had to connect him to his daughter and it's been removed and burned which is what we did to indigenous people exactly um, as colonizers right so yeah you you nailed it jerry you nailed it that literally that scene because i almost wasn't going to come on tonight because i was like oh there's a lot of people and maybe i won't go but then i saw that scene and i was like i have to fucking talk about this (laughs) yeah you're right yeah, yeah, great observation once again. Okay, so after that scene, uh, like I said, we go to Joss. Joss is now speaking with one of the new uh, Caucasians that was just brought into the compound. Her name is Lilith. She is a kind of a you know young adult age, probably early twenties, late teens. Um, you know, she's given a checkup by Joss, and and then this is going to be one of my biggest gripes with the movie. Um, they are not checking these people for bites. They're using the honor system. They basically just ask them, have you been bitten? Yeah, and they answer yeah. yes. I mean, obviously, they're all going to say yes, because if they say no or if, excuse me, they're obviously going to say no, they have not been bitten, because if they say yes, we pretty much know what's going to happen since there is no cure yet in this world. So, um, so, yeah, as it turns out, Lilith does have a bite on her abdomen that she hid from Joss during her checkup. Um we don't really get a lot of it, really we get no backstory with this character she's literally no. brought in just she, she's almost like the MacGuffin. she comes in and she is uh, kind of the catalyst for the craziness well, that's going to happen later eaten if she'd ever eaten people before and of course you're true. Say, <laughs> of course you're gonna say no in that situation right so i, also, I thought that was yeah. kind of silly like this is just straight honor system i mean we're talking about lives here Right. Yeah, it really play. bothers me. I mean, it's I not like you got to strip them down naked, but at least strip down to your underwear and prove to me that you haven't been bitten. It seems like a very obvious thing oh, to I do. Yeah, and it, especially too. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. especially even more so because you see the precautions and the willingness that they take when the girl is coming in covered with in the blanket like two seconds earlier. You mm-hmm. saw how thorough and demanding they were at that point. And now two seconds later, oh, we're going to rely on the honor system. We're not going to check you. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's... Do y'all think, because yeah, when she first showed up, I thought that she was uh, a native. And oh, I, I almost that. felt like they oh, really? were taking... No. I, okay, so that may... Okay, I read it wrong. I took them as they're taking her word for it because she was a native. And that's why they were, and they were, and it was just to symbolize how they treat white people versus how they're going to treat uh, people of their own kind. They wouldn't you have can to trust her, her word for it if she was native, though, because, yeah, because she would be immune. She'd be immune. Yeah, yeah, they wouldn't care if she was bit. Yeah, she, was she, just, she would just be let in. Yeah, and that's so, what uh, I'm saying. Like, if, I'm saying like that, but I'm saying is that what Moodshed said is that if she's immune to it, they wouldn't need to worry about it to begin with. Like that automatically tells you that she's not one of them. Like that, the entire fact that they're having that conversation says this is not a person from our culture. This is some, this is a, you know, a Caucasian or whatever you want to call it, because they're having to ask that question to begin with. If the natives don't have to worry about it, you know, however many times they can get beaten and still be alive, not from the blood loss, they wouldn't care if you've gotten one bite on you. So, yeah, I think the fact that they're having that conversation automatically tells you that she's not one of them. Mm-hmm. The reason I didn't think that is because, one, she doesn't look Caucasian. And two, it was actually the eating of people thing that made me go, oh, well, have they figured out that if you ate people, you might have actually gotten it? Or you have like I know they also have the thing like if you eat uh, human flesh, you've got like the Wendigo thing, which is popular in Native American culture. I don't know if it is for the Canadian side, but also like maybe you would have caught something else or the stories of of people who eat human flesh going crazy. So they were like, we just need to make sure you haven't eaten human flesh, but we're, we're gonna, we're not really going to check. Cause like to me, she looks native American. She doesn't look white. That was just my way of looking at it. I mean, she doesn't look white, but she definitely doesn't look Native American. No, I thought, yeah. Native, you know, indigenous. I, question it. I just thought she looked white straight up. But uh, yeah, I mean, she, I mean, she Latino, <laughs> Italian, maybe, but definitely not Native. And I would just assume that, you know, the Natives, they know their own people and stuff. It's like, well, exactly. that's obviously not one of those. But uh, going back to the Wendigo thing, uh, that's like mythology that I believe started like in the East Coast of Canada. Actually, oh, yeah. Okay. I think I think it comes from Nova Scotia, to be honest. I'm not 100 okay, so percent sure on that, they, but I know it's Canadian mythology, though. Yeah. I think Nova Scotia or Newfoundland would be a good guess. Yeah, okay, it's somewhere so back there. Like, I've had yeah. this conversation before because I know if I don't know if you guys have ever seen Ghostkeeper before. It's another Canadian film mm-hmm. that was shot in Alberta and stuff, but it kind of deals with the Wendigo thing and stuff. And and uh, yeah, I remember kind of looking into that and reading about that and stuff. And I mean, it's somewhere in the East Coast, but it is our mythology. So to answer nice. your question. Julie. <clears throat> and Ghostkeeper was released in 1981, same year our movie tonight is set. So yeah. more connections. Well, fun, you look fun, at that fun. connection, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> crazy. All right. So um, after um, Lilith uh, has her physical with Joss, she then goes to the bathroom and she pulls up her shirt, exposing to the viewers that yes, she has been bitten on the abdomen. While she's in that bathroom, she hears someone drop a glass bottle in one of the stalls. 
one of the toilet stalls and she starts walking towards the stall and she sees blood pooling on the floor and coming out of the stall. Um, but she doesn't hear any noise. So she ends up walking into the stall next to that one, stepping, standing on the toilet and looking over and seeing that the father who just lost her little girl, little girl, Kira at, uh, you know, outside the gates has slit his own wrists. He has killed himself. And what a fucking selfish way to kill yourself during the zombie apocalypse too. Jesus Christ. Anyway, um, the obvious happens. Um, you know, he ends up, uh, reanimating comes back to, uh, Lilith goes to get help. And, that's when moon and trailer come back to the bathroom to kind of do what needs to be done. Um, and then trailer has that great line of, couldn't, couldn't he just shoot himself in the head like a normal person? Great. Cause again, in this world, it makes sense. If you're going to kill yourself and you want to guarantee you don't come back, do something to your head. So yeah, kind of, kind of an odd choice, but again, he just lost his daughter. So he's distraught. He just wants to die. So, you know, I'll give it to him. Um, then we get uh, a scene that I know has been kind of contentious around the uh, the community, and that's a scene with Joseph and Charlie having a heart-to-heart, just kind of talking about the future and um, <laughs> talking about how Charlie has been treated like <laughs> – I think her exact line was she's being treated like her vagina is Pandora's box. Yeah. Um, because she's worried she had heard the story about the woman earlier who had eaten her fetus, her child's fetus. And she was worried, you know, basically the catalyst of the conversation was she was concerned that if the baby died in the womb, would it reanimate and come back to her? But of course, Joss has been watching her as the good doctor that she is making sure that the baby has a normal heartbeat, everything else. Um, so, like I said, we get a little heart to heart there between those two. Um, Let's see. We then get a scene where it looks like uh, some guys are going to go out on a run. I'm not sure. I don't remember where exactly they were going, but you see Trailer and his father and Moon and a couple other of the indigenous people going out um, to do whatever it exactly it was they were going to do. Obviously, that leaves that kind of leaves Lysol by default in charge, which, of course, turns into a shit show. Lysol then has a conversation with his brother Joseph where he apologizes for pulling a gun on Charlie earlier in that scene, the scene where um, the father and daughter were brought to the compound, uh, the, the first scene of the after the time jump, um, because the girl got in the way. Uh, basically, Lysol pulled out a gun and he was going to shoot the little girl in front of the dad. Of course, you know, trailer brought everybody to their senses because every, just like in The Walking Dead, if you shoot a gun, you're going to attract more Zeds, as they call them. So um, obviously that's when they decide to go with the axe. But like I said, during that altercation, Lysol pulled a gun on Charlie, pointed it right at her womb, which apparently he felt bad for as soon as the, as soon as it was over. So like I said, he's having a conversation with uh, Joseph apologizing for it. Uh, there is then a drug deal that is made where Moon actually uh, brings Lysol uh, a little pill bottle with uh, some pills. I'm not sure if it's like Vicodin or Percocet or whatever. Um, they're little, you know, they're uh, uh, white round pills. So I think they're like Vicodin. Um, they end up uh, chopping them up, like grinding them up into powder and putting them in their beer. So that's how they're getting high. Uh, so obviously, you know, it, it just kind of 
highlights Lysol's kind of his problems with addiction, both alcohol and drugs. Uh, the conversation continues where they're talking about, and, and then Lysol tells this really, really odd story uh, just to kind of personify his bad luck with the police where he's, uh, he's talking about, he was with a girl. He, uh, he went down on her and then the police called uh, to have him come to the station to bail one of his friends out. When he arrives at the police station, they see blood all over his mouth and chin and they assume that he's been in a fight, which is kind of his M.O. So they arrest him. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I don't know. Once again, <laughs> unintentional humor that totally worked on me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> any any guy who's accidentally, uh, you know, done that. And I, yeah. I am raising my hand as I am. Absolutely. I'm not embarrassed. It happened once to me. Hey, sometimes <laughs> you just don't know. Sometimes she doesn't know. So yeah. I was going to say she didn't tell you about him. <laughs> it's the first day. She, it, she I don't know. I think mean, I, I mean, it was FYI for that. I don't know. But sometimes it can sneak up. I've never been I, a victim of that. I came I've never made I someone a victim of that. <laughs> I came close. Um, we started and I made my way down there, but then I turned and looked and I realized that it happened. So um, if I had started five minutes earlier, it would have happened to me. So. There you go. There you go. Hey, yeah. Happens to a lot of us. Nothing to be embarrassed about. Nope. So um, we then are, we then go back to the compound where there's more interactions between the elders, you know, trailer, his father, um, Moon, and the fourth guy, the one with the chainsaw. What the hell was his name? Um, Bumper. That's Bumper, right? I think that was Bumper. I got confused. I can't tell the guys apart. Uh, the only ones <laughs> I know were Lysol and the Chief, so... Yeah, so so the main four uh, indigenous guys are uh, Trailer, his father, well, who we'll just call Grandpa, Bumper, who is Chainsaw Guy, and then Moon, who is, of course, Gary Farmer. Um, he seems like not quite the elder statesman because I think Grandpa's a little bit older, but he still looks like he's one of the older folks in the tribe. Uh, that's what they were doing. They were going to get gasoline. Um, yeah. So, yeah, our four main guys basically are going to get gasoline at a uh, obviously a, the only gas station left in the community. Yeah, they, they talked think. about how it was like an untapped resource and stuff. Exactly. They think somebody, you know, uh, spread the rumor that they have an untapped tank of petrol there for them to grab. So um, they go to this place. They're actually pretty smart about it. They set up a trip wire right outside the front entrance and then they yeah. knock really loud which, of course, is uh, they knock on the door really loud and then open it, which causes the zombie to run out, trip on the wire, and then trailers there with his shotgun to finish him off. I thought that was actually genius. I don't know if yeah. I would have thought of it myself. I thought but, that was great. Uh, yeah, too, good on them. Yeah. Uh, they end up continuing to go into the gas station. And then this is where we get one of my favorite kills in the movie, where there is a zombie hanging upside down uh, yeah. from, like, a ledge. But then as trailer... Um, approaches the ledge you can actually see that the zombie has been cut in half and he's hanging by his intestines mm -hmm. uh, basically basically bumper chopped him in half um partially with the chainsaw and then the top half fell out the window but it's still hanging there by intestines and then we get another great shotgun blast to the head um and then bumpers kind they, they kind of trailer admonishes bumper you know telling him hey give me some warning god damn it and bumper says look out dude and throws the bottom half of the body out the window as well. So now both halves are down on the lower level. Great, really great. fucking joke. 
Um, there's obviously there's more zombies in the service station. Um, you know, they end up having a little bit of a shootout, they get out and then we go back to the compound where, um, Lilith has finally, well, basically Lilith looks like she might've been kind of a promiscuous girl in real life because she ends up with Lysol in a private room where basically she goes down on him and then we hear screaming coming from the room. And when we walk in, there is Lilith holding Lysol's penis in her hand and she's munching on it, literally just taking big old chunks out of it. So, yes, at this point, Lilith has turned as she has basically emasculated Lysol. So, I mean, why Lysol wants to continue to exist is beyond me, because I know if I lose my little guy, I have no more reasons to live. I am good. So. So Lysol uh, basically devises a plan with Lilith um, in in the back of the compound. There's a there's kind of like the sleeping quarters where all the Caucasians that they have helped, all the survivors, are in. He takes he ties Lilith up and then takes her into that back area, and basically basically releases her to her own you know um, reconnaissance, I guess. Um, and, of course, she starts attacking uh, the Caucasians in the facility, which, of course, is the proverbial shit hitting the fan, because now this compound that had only one or two potential zombies in it now is mostly zombies. Yes, they they estimate the numbers to be at around 100 to 150 um, survivors that they rescued. And they are pretty much all now zombies after Lilith basically starts the, well, you know, it's, it's Lysol's fault. Um, throughout the movie, Lysol, you know, kind of verbalizes his displeasure with the fact that the uh, natives are helping the townies, as they call them, um, you know, throughout this apocalypse, basically saying that they should be, you know, they should have to, you know, fend for themselves and it's survival of the fittest and blah, blah, blah. But of course, cooler you know, cooler heads prevail and they are able to rescue some survivors. But like I said, that all goes, goes to shit quickly. Um, our four, you know, main um, indigenous guys come back from their gas run. They real they hear the screaming inside of the compound before they even open the gate. So they realize that something has gone wrong. They go ahead and open, they finally open the front gate and the whole front courtyard is just zombies munching on bodies Uh, They devise a plan where one of them jumps into uh, the police car to distract and draw away the majority of the zombies in the courtyard. After they're drawn away, um, Trailer and his father then go into the facility to try to find, you know, any survivors that might still be left at this point. This might be the scene that Moods was talking about that has some questionable editing because it's just all over the place. I mean, trailer will be out in the front gate and then suddenly you blink and he's in the courtyard and then you blink again and he's in the medical facility. So, you know, I understand that the the editing does come off as a little choppy here, but obviously being a fan of zombie films, I'm not so much concerned with the editing uh, as I am wanting to see some, uh, you know, some good gore and some good kills. You know, I'm in the Donna Nelly camp there. Um And then before, I'm sorry, I I forgot to mention that before uh, our four natives come back, uh, Joseph and Lysol have one last interaction. And 
Um, obviously, this is after Lysol's dick has been bit off, so he's kind of limping and, you know, still trying to devise a plan. And he ends up stabbing his brother in the side, probably because his brother is with a white woman and his brother was, of course, part of the group that wanted to help as many people as possible. So I guess there's some, you know, um, bad feelings there between the brothers or at least between one of the brothers. So, yeah, this is where Lysol really, really shows his true colors. He stabs Joseph in the side and he actually takes Joseph into that room where the where all the Caucasians are at the same time that he brings Lilith in there. He also says specifically, I have mm -hmm. no family. Yeah, yeah, very true. Well, he is a half brother, and like I said, I don't. He doesn't look a hundred percent native to me. I'm wondering if his mother is white, and that potentially, because I, I even said it earlier during the non-spoiler section, is that Lysol potentially is the blood quantum in this movie. Obviously, the obvious one is Charlie and Joseph's child, but. I don't know. I, I think he's like a secondary one that that's not obvious because to me, he doesn't look 100 percent native. I totally could be wrong. And but to me, he doesn't look like Joseph at all, even though they share the same father. Um, he doesn't look like Joseph. His, his skin tone is lighter. His hair is thicker. Just he just they don't look like they're related. So, you know, yeah. potentially that could be where some of the disconnect with Lysol is. Maybe that's why he's so much of a, you know, kind of a scumbag sociopath, like I said. Well, um, you know, confusion of his ancestry, blah, blah, blah. I, um, I subscribe to that theory of them being of his mom being white. But I also think, like, the biggest part of him is his issue with what is his identity. Obviously, yes. he wants to identify as, uh, you know, part of the Red Crow, but it seems that they don't want to accept him. He feels that they have done him dirty. Um, he, his father has done him wrong, and he feels like maybe – uh, his brother has done him wrong at some point with with, you know, being with the white woman, like you said. And and I think that's a big point of it. Why he's like, you're not my family. When he stabs him, he's like, I'm going I'm taking over. He even brings up that point where, you know, he's talking to his brother and he says, you know, we don't have to follow uh, your dad. So like his identity crisis not only has him opposite of the people that he wants to be in with but his family at the same time with their issues yes it's an example um, so of subtle social commentary too right like that's looking at you know whites being oppressive and being with a white woman and and you know there is a lot around that not in every you know aboriginal or indigenous community but i think this is what when I was saying earlier, it's subtle social commentary. Like it's there, but you could skip over it and not put any weight into it if you didn't want to and just enjoy the zombie film. Like Jerry did a very good job our take articulating it, but not everybody's going to catch on to that, right? Yeah, well, I think it's because in any race, you have those people that do not want you to date or, or get someone outside of that race pregnant. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yep. You you have it fully there. I know my, my grandparents are kind of racist and I was really worried that the first time I brought Reese to meet them with her being full blooded Mexican, that it was going to be a fucking problem. Uh, I lucked out there, but like being part of an interracial relationship, you kind of do have to deal with the fact that 
some people are very upset with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm yeah. in the same boat, but I don't really associate any family who's ever given me an ink, even the slightest iota of a hint that they have a problem that I'm with a white woman. I disassociate myself with them instantly. I have I'm a Hispanic man, so I have a gigantic family. So trust me, <laughs> there is a large percentage of my family that I don't even talk to because of that exact issue. Um, I would have done the same thing. Had they had a problem with me being Reese, I would have uh, disowned them. Yeah. But uh, Which would have been really hard. I was partly raised by my grandparents, so it would have been fucking painful to do yeah. that. Oh, yeah. I hear you. All right. So, um, like I said, we're back at the compound after the gas run. The zombies have kind of taken over. Now here, uh, there's going to be a, bun- a bunch of various um, set pieces that I probably won't remember every single one. But just realize this is where the zombie action really gets crazy. People are getting pulled apart. You know, lots of heads getting squished, cars running over zombies, everything else. And unfortunately, this is where we lose our main actor, um, Trailer. Trailer, basically, in his attempt to get his ex-wife, his son, and Charlie, you know, pregnant Charlie, out of the facility, he ends up getting overrun by a gang of zombies, and they treat him to the Captain Rhodes treatment. They don't necessarily pull him apart, like Captain Rhodes got pulled apart in Day of the Dead, but they definitely disembowel him. You know, they tear his neck apart. I mean, it's a very, very bloody scene. Not so much gory because, yeah, you do see intestines and stuff like that. But it, it almost comes off like an anime because you've got arterial spray mm-hmm. throughout various parts of Trailer's body. So it's a very bloody scene. But it's also darkly lit with a lot of red lighting. So the gore isn't necessarily um, the highlight of the scene, if you will, or the focus, the focal point. But it definitely really like, devoured like... He's almost devoured because of the sheer mountain attacking him where it's, yeah, yeah, it's not quite day of the dead style where we get the close up of him being torn apart. When we get the camera shot on him, he's kind of already been engrossed in it. And then you see the intestines yeah. held up. It's, it's still pretty well, well done. Oh, well, very well done. For anyone else, did it almost look more like it was like a, not like a strobing thing, but more like it was slow motion almost like they slowed the speed of it down to like highlight, you know, like all the wounds and stuff. Was that just me, or did it look like that to any of you I guys? Honestly, I didn't notice any kind of slow motion. Um, the scene for me felt like it went by actually pretty quick, and I'm usually a fan of slow motion, um, especially when it's really adding to the intensity of a scene. I I honestly didn't notice, but I could be wrong. Well, that's what I'm saying. To me, it almost looked like, at least in the terms of him being like in agony, like the last few moments where they're like ripping at the neck and you see the spray like mm-hmm. those were sh- those were done in slow motion because I, I almost looked like they were like done in a different tempo than the rest of the sequence after it yeah, it's possible yeah i'd have to rewatch it but yeah it's possible yeah uh, I, I didn't I, notice to answer your question I guess. okay well i to me it almost looked like it was a thing on the stream like it was slowing down s- sure specifically i didn't know if because it looked sp- for that one sequence i don't know if that was just me or that was the film. Ah, potentially, yeah. Um, either way, great scene, very well shot, very well put together, and very tragic. I mean, we've obviously been following trailer for the majority of this movie, and with a good 20 to 25 minutes still left in the film, we lose our main actors. So, yeah, it's definitely an emotional spot. 
Um, so like I said, after trailer has, you know, been killed, um, our last, our last few survivors, which is basically Joss, grandpa, bumper, um, Charlie and Joseph, um, all basically just drive away, uh, in trailers, police car. And at that exact same moment, they get a call on the radio from the dispatcher, uh, that we met earlier in the film, or we actually only saw heard her voice, but then we actually see her. And as it turns out, Lysol and a few of the, uh, indigenous people that are loyal to Lysol's cause, uh, have basically taken her prisoner. They have her put out a fake call on the dispatch radio, uh, telling you know the survivors to meet them at the church that Lysol has gone crazy and he's killing living people at the church, um, which is really a, a, a half truth. I mean, because he is still technically killing a lot of people, um, but they are also killing zombies. Blah blah blah. Uh, they end up releasing a zombie in the same room that the dispatcher is tied up in, and of course, you know the zombie takes care of her. That's an off-screen kill. Uh, the movie then. Uh, goes to the next morning lord knows how long that compound is from the church because the sun has risen by the time they arrive to the church and that's when we see lysol and moon and a couple of others that are loyal to lysol kind of talking about their plan uh the girl original uh, from earlier in the movie that burned the blanket is still here with lysol she's loyal to him and then we see Moon kind of spreading gasoline, pouring gasoline all over this church and all over a circle of survivors. They have not been killed yet. They're still alive, Caucasian survivors. And he's basically pouring gasoline all over them. And then out of nowhere, uh, once again, one of my favorite kills in the movie, and even though it's fully CG, I'll give them credit for it not being a off-screen or cutaway kill. Uh, basically, Grandpa walks up behind Moon with his his katana, his samurai sword, and buries it right into the side of Moon's head with like, you know, a, a, you know, he basically swings it uh, horizontally to the side. It's very obviously CG. I mean, when you see it, it's very, very obviously CG. But I am willing to accept it because, like I said, it's it's a it's a single shot. They don't cut away from it. So you actually see the grandpa sneak up behind him and then shoop, swing that sword right. And the sword goes like maybe a third of the way through Moon's head. But so, like I said, if you if you if you pause it and really look at it, you're going to see kind of the limitations of what they had to work with with the budget and their CG budget. But it I love this me where it went in. It shocked me where it went in because I was expecting him to split his head or like maybe the yeah. top of it. But it actually goes on the side of his cheek and just kind yep. of stops like three quarters away. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and he's he's There's literally mid sentence and the sword yeah. goes in and he just stops and falls over. I just I, I fucking those, love this kid. <laughs> <laughs> like out loud by myself watching that shit. I was like, nice. Yep. So <laughs> was, yeah. just still made me laugh. It was pretty funny. It was good. So yeah, exactly. So that's um I think it was just Joseph and Grandpa who ended up going to the church. Joss and Charlie and Bumper go to the shore because the plan is to get a boat and just go out into the water and you know figure out what they're gonna do from there. Uh, but then out of nowhere, a machete or what looks like a machete goes through bumpers, you know, midsection. It turns out to be one of those um, like halberds, I guess, those long staffs with a curved blade at the end. Um, basically, it's Lysol. Lysol's wearing it's a mask. He pulls off the mask to reveal that it's him. 
and Bumper falls dead. So we basically have a standoff now, a Mexican standoff between Joss, who's holding Trailer's gun, and Lysaw, who has his own gun that he's probably had this whole time during the apocalypse. Um, tr- uh, Lysol's pointing the gun at Charlie, while Joss is pointing the gun at Lysol. Of course, Lysol is able to disarm um, Joss by, you know, basically talking her into dropping the gun because if he doesn't, she doesn't, he's obviously going to shoot Charlie. Uh, they have a little bit of a standoff here at the end where he threatens to kill Charlie. Um, and then, um, basically what happens is Lysol has a zombie in his trunk, in the trunk of his car, and he goes to open the trunk to let the zombie out. And at that same moment, Joss, um, picks, you know, Joseph's mother picks up the gun and just empties a clip into Lysol. Um, she misses a lot of the shots. You can tell she's not very good with weapons, but she still hits them a few times. Uh, unfortunately, the zombie that Lysol releases from the truck, the trunk, does end up biting um, Charlie in the neck. So pregnant Charlie has now been bitten. Her time is limited. Um, they don't know 100% what they're going to do. When they finally get to the shore, uh, the boat that they were looking for is on fire. So they're not 100% sure what they're going to do from this point, but. We basically we go back to Joseph and Grandpa, who are now carrying Lysol out of the church, or not carrying him, but helping him walk out of the church because Lysol obviously at this point has been shot. Um, you know, he had his dick bit off. How this guy is still alive is beyond me. Um, Grandpa basically hands Joseph a knife, almost to say, um, you know, it's your brother, so you do the deed. And Joseph does indeed comply. And, you know, after a little bit of a back and forth, you know, Lysol kind of apologizing for what he did and everything else, um, obviously an empty apology, Joseph goes ahead and stabs Lysol in the midsection, and that is the last time. Um, Oh, excuse me, he stabs him but does not kill him. He stabs him once in the midsection just to incapacitate him, and then as Joseph and Grandpa are walking away, Grandpa fires a single shot into the air which then attracts a horde of zombies who then decimate Lysol. I thought this was a great punishment for Lysol. Um, I don't know if I would have been able to think that clearly in this, you know, I I probably would have just killed myself in the church after everything that he's done. But the fact that they took the time to think of this punishment, so awesome. Loved it. Anybody else on this, uh, on Lysol's kill? It was very ceremonial. Like, yeah. It, it was very like that's because I was the same thing with you. I was like, one, how the fuck is he still alive with as much yeah. alcohol and drugs as he's put in his body? He should have bled out. He's blood's got to be super thin. Um, So then getting shot a bunch of times, I was like, OK, fuck it, whatever. I guess I'll just accept it. Um, But then I'm like, really? He didn't kill him right away. And then I was That's like, the thing. Uh, yeah, a lot of us are so short tempered that we probably would have just killed them at the first opportunity. But yeah, for whatever it's worth, you know, props to Grandpa and Joseph for was, having the wherewithal to take a, you know, a few seconds to think of a better alternative to just killing them. So, yeah, yeah awesome. It, it, it turned out great looking. 
Yeah, and then we get another scene of zombies ripping out intestines and, you know, the biting and ripping parts off of them. So, yeah, another great zombies zombie kill. are amazing at ripping open stomachs. I don't know how they do it. Like, with, I don't with, know if they get a good, good, you know, two-finger grip yeah. inside the belly button and rip open. With Lysol, it makes sense. You're not yourself when you're hungry, that. Jerry. They do what they got to do. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. I thought about that with um, Trailer's death because he didn't really have any kind of abdominal injury, but they were still able to rip his intestines his intestines out. But with Lysol, it makes sense because he just took a stab wound. So yeah, and he had been shot a couple of times. So potentially the zombies probably just found those spots and just started ripping and tearing yeah. from there. Mm-hmm. But it's just like um, so it's after, not a zombie movie unless someone gets their stomach ripped open and intestines oh, yeah. get pulled out by the it's zombies. It's not a good zombie movie unless someone gets their stomach ripped open. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so then we go to our final scene where, um, like I said, our, our last four survivors, Grandpa, Joseph, Bumper, and Joss, uh, and, oh, excuse me, five with Charlie, are, you know, even though Charlie's been bit, she is still alive at this point. Uh, so basically, Bumper and Grandpa stay behind to try to take out as many zombies as they can. And then this is also the sequence where we get our final animated segment, which is right after Grandpa kind of survives the first wave of zombies in animated form. He kind of holds up one of their heads, a la Mortal Kombat, you know, Sub-Zero holding up somebody's decapitated head, um, which, again, looked great. Um, We missed the second animated sequence, which had to do with trailer, uh, which basically showed him kind of, um, you know, showing him looking the way he normally does, but then he puts on the mask that he wears throughout the movie and he pulls out a sword and suddenly he, you know, his demeanor changes and you can see that I, I I'm assuming this is signifying his, uh, his total, you know, um, spiral into psychopathy at this point, because like I said, at that point there was no saving Lysol. He was just kill all the white people, save all the indigenous and no questions asked. You know, he was very black and white about it. No pun intended. Um, so, yeah. Um, so anyway, like I said, Grandpa um, takes out the, la- the the first wave of zombies. I'm sure eventually another wave is going to come and take him out because he's literally by himself. Bumper didn't last long, unfortunately. Um, so now Joseph, Joss and Charlie are on a boat, a rowboat or a, a, a small motorboat. Excuse me. Small motorboat out on the water. They're not going anywhere in particular, just going out to the water. And then Charlie has her child, Um, you know, fairly intense little scene of the childbirth. Um, You know, she is conscious throughout the whole childbirth. She's, you know, pushing uh, as per Joss's instructions. Um, She lets them know they had a girl. The baby is alive and normal. Nothing wrong with her. At that moment, um, you know, Joseph wants to hand the baby over to Charlie because, you know, what new mother doesn't want to hold her child, her newborn child. But, of course, Charlie actually shows that she has a little bit of a brain. She doesn't want to hold the child for long because she knows she's been bitten and she knows that she could turn at any moment because it seems like these zombies die and literally within seconds they're back. Or that people die and then within seconds they're back up and around as zombies. So... Uh, she hands the child back and, you know, basically smiles at Joseph, you know, the one last smile to say, do what you need to do. 
Joseph then pulls out his gun and takes a single shot and kills Charlie. Um, and then the last shot of the film is Joseph asleep on top of Charlie's dead body while Joss is holding her granddaughter and they're just floating. You know, the, the, the motor on the boat isn't moving. They're literally just floating there on the water. Uh, you get this great shot of a foggy morning, you know, with um, with the baby crying in the background and then credits. And that is Blood Quantum 2020. So what did we think, folks? Um, okay, so uh, I know I, everyone's probably going to disagree with me on, on this, but um, I don't like the, the common trope of, like, I'm going to stay behind and, and all of y'all are going to get away, especially in a zombie movie. And here's what the grandpa staying back. It's just such a, a, a waste in a future sense. Like for the movie, it makes sense because it's cinematic and, and all of that. Well, it's, also for well, the future, it, Jerry, it makes, sen- it makes sense because I, you know, he's I'm getting to all of that. He's not, he's not leaving I'm, that land. There's no way I, I was getting to all of that. <laughs> you just got to let me finish. Okay. Um, like, so yeah, like, I understand that for the culture, he he's never going to have his land taken away. It is a pride thing. It is an honor thing. But I just hate that in, in movies where I'm just like, you are skilled with a sword. You are skilled with a gun. You have wisdom. You are knowledgeable. You could help your grandson and your new uh, soon-to-be granddaughter and the, the mother of your grandson – uh, continue to live. You have so much you can give that I hate it. It's just one of the times where I go, honor leads to nowhere but the grave. I completely fucking understand the trope in movies. I understand uh, the trope as it's used uh, in many, many different cultures. It's just one that I, I don't like. Uh, it reminds me, basically... That whole character feels like a Takashi Miike, Akira Kurosawa samurai. I could feel him, you know, saying like one of those old uh, Bushido code things where it's like the only solution for bad and violent people are good people that are more skilled in violence. (laughs) Like he plays that character so fucking well. And obviously it's the ending that he's going to get. And it makes complete sense in the movie. And it makes complete sense. Uh, for his culture and everything like that. It's just one of those times where I go, things I think about what happens when the movie ends. It's like kind of like when a serial killer or a, a monster like Jason kills everybody and the police show up and they've got to go through everything. I always think about what happens afterwards. Like, how do they go through all this? What are the steps? So I always think about after the movie. And this trope always makes me go, you could have helped, you know, get them on and survive them for more days. But because you didn't, because you had to have your honor, you're sacrificing the future of your family for it. Not a family name, no, not tradition, not honor, but you're actually living family. And it's just something that's always bothered me in movies. Like I said, it makes sense cinematically. And all of that, but I had to take aim at it in this one because it was extra grievous. Because Jerry, the, the captain always goes down with the ship, right? 
And <laughs> it's so stupid. Live to fight another day, goddammit. Yeah, I, I'm pers- I'm kind of on board with you a little bit, Jerry. I think it's too overblown. I don't think every time every one of these films needs it because how do you lead society if there's no leaders? Like, where's the rebuilt society going to get its leaders from? It's not going to be these guys because they needed the elder guys to get them out of there to begin with. So I don't see, you know, where well, every, I, well, every I single the ideas are saving it for the next generation of leaders, like who will become leaders, I guess. Well, yeah, but you still need, you know, leadership by example. And having a physical person around to guide you through it is a lot better than. Well, oh, I mean, self-sacrifice is a pretty good example. I mean. Yeah, but I'm just saying is that I think it's too too over too overused. Self-sacrifice is good in idea, but not in practice. Yeah. And I think when it's overused, when you try to deliver it in a film like this, which was when he said, um, tell my grandchildren stories, which is very, you know, like, I think you've made a good point, Jerry. There's so many cultures that based on storytelling, like really. um, And then they kind of switch to almost like a painting there very briefly. Um I, I feel like you're right because it's so overdone. The moment that could have been special there was really just another and <laughs> sacrifice. Heather, holy shit. I didn't even think about that. The dad actually makes the real sacrifice in the movie that fucking matters. He does it to save lives. The grandfather's sacrifice is not to save lives. They had plenty of time to get on that boat and roll. He was doing it strictly for his own honor and for his own pride. Mm-hmm. His while I understand the tradition of it, he is being selfish. The dad was like, literally, like, look, just keep my fucking memory alive. I will. I'm going to sacrifice myself so that my son and hopefully my ex baby mama and my fucking granddaughter will make it out of this life. That's the important sacrifice. And maybe this ending is, is showing us that you know, when the world dies, you can't die. Because of your tradition, you have to move on and give birth to a nation. You have to let your tradition goes, which you could also say that goes in with Lysol and his uh, not only just Lysol, but the whole like Native American and white person intermingle relationship. You've got to leave that shit behind and move on with the future. Tradition is great and all, but you can't let it hold you back. So I could see that being a message there. And if that is the message, uh, then, you know, I still hate the trope, (laughs) but fucking congratulations. You did a good job. I mean, Grandpa did have that line just before they left about him not being driven off his land. Um, And especially with the, uh, you know, indigenous culture, being driven off their land is a major thing. A lot of them would rather die. I, then, I get that. Well, that's, that's because they're like one the with the land. They're one. Yeah. With exactly. I mean, they I even had that the line earlier about, you know, the earth is alive. We we are one people and the yeah. earth. We're in this together and that the Caucasians don't accept that or don't, you know, appreciate it or whatever. The I case get where is, you're coming so. from, Jerry, with the trope being completely overused. But I think in this sense, it's it's what it should be. I just think in when you take his quote unquote sacrifice. And compare it the grandfather's sacrifice and compare it to the father's sacrifice, you can see which one is more important, which one was done out of love and con- and continuing 
the survival of humanity versus someone who did it purely out of out of traditional thoughts and how that's so unimportant at a time like this, especially if you're going to sit there and say, you know, we are one with the earth, then all of the earth is your land. You literally can keep living and reclaim all of the earth. And the question like I get, is, too, I get the, I mean, well, I get the culture. I get the tradition. I'm not disagreeing with y'all on that whatsoever. I like I said, I get why he did it. I get it. Why? thematically and, and cinematically it works in the movie i'm just saying i don't like the trope but after the whole discussion with heather and the father sacrifice compared to the grandfather sacrifice this actually could be a ending message of don't let tradition hold you the the son who survives is the one who made a child with a white woman not the one the one who died the grandfather who dies he died because he was old hat he was with old tradition it's an interesting thought it's an interesting concept yeah it's an interesting concept and i think it's tough because none of us are indigenous right like i think if you know we had someone on this call that could speak to more to that but i think that that's a pretty good assumption jerry and and not a bad argument is this is this going to be 12 angry man jerry herring edition where he wins everyone over (laughs) <laughs> I mean, even I, I understand Jerry's argument, but I have less of a problem with it than um, he did. I still find self-sacrifice very honorable, um, especially when you think about the fact that if Grandpa had gone along with them, it kind of diminishes Joseph's role in this new society that they may or may not rebuild. Um, Joseph is very solidly their leader now. I mean, there's only three of them left alive. One's a baby, you know, one is his mother who's a doctor, and then Joseph who's got the, you know, the more the field experience, the more military experience, you know, of killing zombies and going out on runs and things like that. I feel like this is kind of the same as a father pushing his son out of the home and saying, go make a life for yourself that doesn't involve me. Yes, I'll still be a part of your life, but I'm not going to make your decisions for you. I, you know, you could make, you could, I, it's a thin argument. I understand that. But I was going to say, do you make think the argument that grandpa is letting Joseph be his own man and letting like, him be this new, you know, kind of uh, leader of, you know, of a potential new society. Do you think with, with grandfather's character that he was doing that or, or, and I also want to say, is it self-sacrifice? Like, normally when we think of self-sacrifice in the movie, it's what the dad did. He sacrificed himself sure. so others can't survive. Hit, the grandfather's self-sacrifice was more like when a guy kills himself before the zombie can eat him. I wouldn't go that far. I think I no. think he stayed behind to kind of protect them, you know, uh, getting on the boats. I mean, they had a they had a pregnant yeah, they, girl they, who had yeah, a fresh he does play a role. Bite. He plays a role in them no, getting away. Well, sure. No, they had well more than enough time to get away with him. There, that I refuse that one. I won't give you. Uh, he could have yeah. got on the boat and they could have got away just fine. And at the same time, too, don't forget, this isn't exactly something that they had time to think about. Grandpa is working on adrenaline and just his heart is beating a mile a minute and he's making snap decisions. His, his snap decision there was to let his grandson go. But no, I don't think it was. I think his self-sacrifice was for himself, not for his grandson. Ooh, I don't think I there strongly is a- disagree with that. 
strongly. I, I that one I think we'll have to disagree on because I I see yeah. it as him doing it because he he the excuse he gives is completely selfish. Yes, I will totally agree with that. But I also don't think the excuse he gives is 100% the reason why he did it. I still think that there's a little bit of him that wants to keep the zombies off the beach, off the waterline, while they load this pregnant, injured woman into the boat, along with potentially two to three other people, and then give them enough time to get far enough away from the shore. Because don't forget, zombies don't have to breathe, so they can still walk underwater. They obviously just can't swim or whatever. So I'm I'm going to say it's like 50-50. It can also yeah, be like an old world versus new world thing. Like absolutely. the new world belongs to you. This this becomes yeah, your been, world been now, and I'm that. staying behind. Yeah, right, right, yeah. I mean, we would basically at this point have said there's three options. He's being selfish and self-sacrificing himself because he doesn't want to leave his land, which is what he vocally says in there. Mm-hmm. We have uh, the in the two that Venom brought up, which is new world versus old world. Uh, I'm going to push you out of the house and force you to be the leader now. And the uh, I'm going to make sure you have enough time to escape, yeah. which I, I personally completely throw that one out the window. Like I said, I that one's the thinnest one. I already said that. That's the thinnest possible, you know, mentality that I could think of that the grandpa might have been going for. But for sure, you know, out of a hundred people who do that, you got to figure at least a few of them are we, using that excuse. It can also be a combination of all of them, though. Oh, sure. It doesn't have to be one thing. I mean, we can't read someone minds. Ultimately. tweet the director. When this comes out, someone tweet the director <laughs> and make him listen to this so that he can fucking answer this for us. Tell him there's two Canadians on there. He'll do it. Yeah, he is on two Facebook. Canadians. Make sure you clarify. <laughs> <laughs> We got yeah. the two whitest Canadians we could. <laughs> the whitest Canadians <laughs> you could find. <laughs> um, but I will say this. I fucking love a movie that can cause this much discussion and this much interpretation. And like I said, it fits my criteria for what makes a zombie movie great. There is the internal and uh, struggle of human beings while they face an external struggle and Jesus Christ, this ending is fucking dark. I really don't think the three that survive are going to last for a week. Oh, no, not at all. They're fucking dead. I mean, there was there was no um, kind of clue that there's any that there's any kind of safe areas or, you know, uh, zombie free zones for them to run off to. For for all intents and purposes, they're on a lake surrounded by zombies. Yeah, it's kind of like the the, the Terminator ending to me. It's like all you've preserved or all you've really preserved is the impending doom that's coming your way. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if the grandfather had went with them, I'd give them a month minimum. <laughs> so I think the grandfather was uh, smart for staying behind man. He didn't want to put up with that bullshit. He knew it was over. <laughs> yeah. It was over. It's like, he's like, I'm dying, with, I'm dying with my, with my honor here. <laughs> They're just going to die tomorrow. So yeah. well, you got to get point. Who the fuck wants to be in a zombie apocalypse with a crying baby? Holy shit, give me suicide. I mean, if, if guns Dude, fucking attract zombies, yeah, crying babies, that fucking, the that's, that's almost as bad as a quiet place. Does not work. Yeah, exactly. In a quiet place, that is the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> I had so many problems with that. but I yeah. only chalked it up to maybe there's no condoms left. <laughs> How long I mean, because to say that two attractive married people are never going to have sex in a yeah. post-apocalyptic okay. scenario, that's just ignorant. 
Yeah, but, 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 but the, they, may, they may not have had condoms at that time, but they definitely had coat hangers and stairs that they could <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a lot of unoccupied stairs, oh right? God. I'm just I'm just they talking about survival them. here. I'm just talking about survival. That's funny. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be a Those are the deleted scenes. So they have the, did, did they have the fire to sterilize the coat hanger? I cannot wait for the porn parody of A Quiet Place now. Oh man, yeah. okay. Quiet Face moods directs it. Quiet yeah. Face. Yes. <laughs> oh God. All right, Mike, what do you say? Well, that's that's one hell of a way to wrap this up. But uh, before we get out of here, we should do the usual and let everyone, let the listeners where they can hear them. And let's hear the latest on all the episodes that are out. So I will try to do it again in order. Um, let's start. Actually, you know, let's start with uh, Don and Ellie because now he's in the front. So what do you got? Do you have anything, Don? Yeah, um, so right now um, I'm just waiting on a, a recording date for part two of the Bay of Blood Jaws Ripoff Spectacular. Um, part one was released, I think, over the weekend. Uh, yeah, I think I, by the time this is out, um, I did uh, part one where we had uh, six people on board, including Mr. Venom, and we looked at various... Jaws ripoff, uh, creature killer creature feature in sea animal movies. So um, we're gonna, I think we're gonna record part two this weekend. I'm not sure. Um, I've also done a um, couple of uh, fresh cuts appearances. Um, I, the last one I was on was I think Crawlers, or did I do another one in b- before that? Oh wait, no, Darklight, uh, Darklight. Yeah, because that was the one me and Moods were on. Yeah, and um, the last thing is um, outside, I'm gonna let Jerry do one of mine, but um, oh no, go last, ahead, man, go ahead oh, and take it. Okay, yeah. So um, yeah, me, Venom, and uh, Jerry, along with uh, my our buddy Derek B from Cinema Attack, do um, underwater kaiju from outer space. Um, our last episode was Godzilla versus Hidora, and um, I think the next one we've just set a Scheduled date will be Polgasari, the uh, North Korean Godzilla rip um, ripoff. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and then the other thing that I want to mention is a um, I think it's a little over a month, like month month and a half uh, worth of shows with uh, NFW doing uh, Killer Snake movies. We did uh, the entire Anaconda franchise and uh, two other Killer Snake movies, um, the '70s classic. And the uh, Killer Snake in the House uh, classic Venom, the uh, 81 version, not the podcaster that I'm sitting next to. <laughs> what version are, are you, Venom? I am Mr. No, no, no. Like, if that, if that Venom's from 81, which one are you from? I'm not going to give my... 1967. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> You're closer than you think. Damn it. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, uh, next up, Jerry Herring. Where you, or where can you uh, be listened to, and what's the latest? Uh, kill the cast. We just did uh, Frozen. Uh, Adam Green's Frozen. You can check that out and listen to one person nitpick the shit out of that movie and give survivalists uh, 
expertise while I explain why I'm an idiot and would have done every wrong choice that every character made in that movie did. So I would die. Uh, <laughs> go listen to that. It's fun. Uh, this week, probably tomorrow morning from when this is being recorded, so maybe around the same time this is coming out, uh, Atomic Age Saucercast will be dropping the one on Matinee featuring John Goodman, directed by Joe Dante, features a lesson on the Cuban Missile Crisis also. And, uh, yeah, Underwater Kaiju, which you already brought up, and that's it. Check out Kill the Cast. All right. Looks like next in the lineup here would be Moods. What you got for everybody? Uh, I don't know. What do I got? Um, latest latest episode of 22 Shots is uh, the Omen franchise. It's got uh, uh, Carly and Mike on it. Here's truly Mike. Yeah. Um, and this week's episode coming up is actually me featuring Dave, Mr. Parka. We're doing I Spit on Your Grave, the entire franchise. Ooh. That's including the the offbeat semi-sequel Savage Vengeance from like mm-hmm. late. Oh, my God. Oh, man. These fucking Patreon picks. Um, that's pretty much it for 22 Shots. I mean, I think the Bloody Bits uh, podcast just came out. I got a review on there with Derek um, as us as the dudes. So that's about it, really cool well it's like you it's funny because you're like that's it except anyone who listens to 22 shots that's it means like a six hour episode so it's plenty of, <laughs> yeah it's six yeah it is it actually is yeah and, and go figure the newest i spit in your grave film deja vu is like two and a half hours long oh my god i know it's just it's real real painful so Pack that rape in there <laughs> that rape in there. <laughs> yep. Oh, Get man. on it. Oh, all right. Next up, Heather Powell. What do you got? Well, you can hear Moose and I on our new Canadian podcast that we're going to start at the end of this for the whole five listeners that will get all of Canada. You know, speaking of that, speak that we didn't even bring up why the year 1981 was so important. You're right. What? I, and I actually well, want to know. I brought it up very briefly about the Charter of Rights and Freedom. So that's what I was referring to. I think you were you referring to Charter of Rights of Freedom or was yeah, there oh, more? Yeah, that's right. That's right. You yeah, did bring. Okay. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. It's just that's you know the Pierre Trudeau, our, our current prime minister, that was his father at the time and stuff. And yeah. Well, so. on your first episode, yeah, uh, no can y'all cover right. that? I, yeah, I just sure. found out that Christian <laughs> has already joined your Patreon. and our only patreon yeah he's Um, dropping mad maple money on (laughs) y'all maple money or blues balloons your money's blue or some shit right (laughs) yeah it's this multiple color jerry some of it's it's coins you know like we don't have bills for one and twos yeah we got some toonies and loonies shit going down here maybe fives are going to coins now too i don't know yeah who knows right it's gonna be coin country soon anyway um in all seriousness i do y'all are going coin country everyone else is going fucking digital (laughs) there's a problem here yeah, I like coins. Yeah. I wish I wish all money was coins. I just want to walk around with gold coins just in my pocket. Fucking jingle. Player, yeah. <laughs> Have a satchel. A satchel of gold <laughs> That'd coins. Be awesome, oh, fucking, yeah. <laughs> That'd be fun. Um, so I, I do the Friday Nightmares podcast with Mr. Scott Crawford, and you can find us on the Kill the Cast feed. I'm also on It's Not Horror Okay with uh, Venom, Scott Crawford, Android Virus, and... I feel like I'm forgetting someone. Nudie. <laughs> I 
the one that runs the podcast. <laughs> the host. I know, right? Like, who's he? Yeah, he's not important. Um, he's not important anyway. And then I just guessed. Um, recently, I guessed on a, an independent podcast called Double Edge, Double Bill, where we did a comparison between Independence Day Resurgence and uh, Gremlins 2. And uh, yeah, I, I really regret the two hours I spent with Independence Okay, Day at the risk of sounding stupid, how the hell do those things come together? I have no idea. About 30 yards from me, too. I was like, where's yeah. the contrast here? They uh, were just two sequels that they chose. One was good and one was bad. Um, I'm sure you can guess which one was. I don't know, unless there's anyone that really liked Independence Day, too. Um, I, I did not enjoy that movie. Um, I don't love Gremlins do that much either, but anyway, that's that's what Ooh. they do. They compare yeah, different movies. I like it. Hey, it just sounds it's all bad and bad. Sequel. Like I, yeah. you know. Anyway, <laughs> so, yeah, and I, and I guess on different shows, and I'm on here. I was on The Last Fresh Cuts, too, and yeah. <laughs> you know what, Heather? We can actually do that Canadian podcast. You know, we can, really call, it, we can call it the A-Team. We should call it the A team. The E H team. The A team. Because we're Canadian, apparently we say A after everything. Of course we do. Yeah. There's going to be someone who's like, oh shit, it's an Exploding Heads fan podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that's a. People are going to get loony with that one. Uh, going to get loony. Nice. That's our tagline. You guys are going to get loony. Uh, that's great. Uh, who's up? Uh, Venom, I think you're rounding out the uh, podcast plug. So what do you got? And right, uh, how so, much time do we need? No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. As most people know, Fresh Cuts is, of course, the sister podcast to No More Room in Hell. Uh, the last episode of No More Room in Hell has been available for a few weeks. Uh, we looked at Ozploitation films. Uh, on the next episode, we're going to be looking at musicians in horror. Hopefully, that'll be out sooner than later, hopefully in the next week or two. Um, Don and Jerry have already mentioned Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space. Um, Jerry and myself are also working on the return of a podcast that we started last year. Um, that is, of course, Cult Unknown. Hopefully that'll be back before the end of the month. We have already started our preparations for episode two, so look out for that on the Legion Podcast Network. I assume that's also available on the Kill the Cast feed, so yes, sir. subscribe to Kill the Cast. You get a whole variety of stuff. You get Heather's show. You get all of Jerry's shows. You get some cool, mm -hmm. wet kaiju shows. So, yeah, check those out on It's Not we Horror. We keep all okay. the kaiju bitches wet. <laughs> bitches love kaiju all right so on uh heather already mentioned it's not horror okay on the last episode we looked at my pick hell comes to Frogtown, starring the immortal rowdy roddy piper rest in peace sir um one of the more fun episodes we've done so check that out and the last thing I'll bring up uh, for main shows is going to be In the Mike of Madness with the lovely Rebecca Reinhardt. We are still on the tail end of our Friday the 13th retrospective. On the last episode, we looked at Freddy versus Jason. And on the next episode, we will, of course, be looking at the 2009 remake, Friday the 13th. And then we're going to do one more episode after that on um, Friday the 13th fan films, which will include Never Hike Alone and Friday the 13th Vengeance and stuff like that. So those will be the next couple of episodes. And then I have no idea what we have planned after that. So be on the lookout for that. As far as guest spots, Don has already mentioned I am on the Jaws ripoff uh, Spectacular on the Bay of Blood podcast. 
Uh, you can also hear Mike and myself do a short review for the new film Sea Fever on Jason Lloyd's Bloody Bits podcast. That was just dropped today. So if you're subscribed oh, yeah, you to Ophelia, check that out. Um, nice. And I think that's it for me, Mike. You got anything else? Wait a minute. Did you say musicians and whore on No Room, No More Room in Hell? Yes, the mm-hmm. next episode. How the fuck am I not on that episode, man? Come on. Because we don't like you. That's oh. probably that's probably a fair assessment. <laughs> or you can't record on Sundays. That I, I can too. I can accept that. Yeah, yeah, we are a Sunday show. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if if you can work it in, we'll get you on. Trust me. What, do you, what are you guys doing? What, are you guys just doing an overall thing, or what? Well, an overall discussion, and there will be two feature reviews. What are the feature reviews? Uh, you'd have to ask Mike on that one. <laughs> I'd have to ask myself and go look at the thread because it's like I threw I threw you it out there. Know? No, <laughs> well, we're, I, we're like eighty percent sure what we want to do, but there's still options out there to kind oh, of address. So. That's cool. That's a cool idea. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. It, it, I think it started with like uh, musicians who directed, and then I found like not enough to pick from, and I didn't want to go like just garbage stuff like veronica <laughs> like yeah. I, I didn't want to have to pull from that well so i was like well let me change it because I, I know for a fact there's a, like way more if you change it to musicians that star in movies so i was like well, let me see what I, I can pull from and then i was like okay here's an abundance oh, that's of movies. Just bucket load, yeah so yeah, yeah you, I mean, you could have done uh strange land i said that, strange yeah, land. yeah d snyder d snyder did that right he wrote that yep. yeah. yeah um but yeah like venom said well well, oh, the what was the movie that Bruce Dickinson was... did? Um, uh, Crowley. Yeah, Crowley. Yeah, man. Crowley, yeah. yeah. I, I I wanted to do Runaway with Gene Simmons, but it's not really a horror movie, even though there's some like creepy stuff in it because of those the little spiders and robots, shit. the acid spitting spiders, and like the weird guns with like the chasing. I, I, there's a little details I forgot, but the, I always thought it was a pretty cool movie. It just isn't really horror. But, uh, yeah, once we nail it down, I mean, I'll let you know for sure and see if you can make it work. That's cool. I like the idea. Cool. Yeah, and we'll, we'll like, we'll do a double feature, but, I, you know, I mean, Derek's a part of the show, so you know other movies are going to get watched besides what we're actually doing the main features of. So it's like other ones will probably come up in conversation. But anyways, so everyone, if you're wondering, yeah, Venom. Mm-hmm. Uh, shared that with you so that probably what the next couple of weeks will yeah that recorded and uh, other than that um gary hill put out i think the latest of what we recorded of uh burning for springwood heather you were on one of those you oh, and nice. scott so yeah i believe there's like two episodes you guys were on one of them and then one of them was just the regular three but that's about all i got um other than you know moods already mentioned i was on their omen show always fun to do that and then going back a little further i, I don't even know if i ever mentioned it, but i was on the first episode of club Dreadcast, and then I, I was just on another one uh last week's so yeah i am getting around lots of more time in quarantine it would seem i mean some days go by even quicker but uh more time for movie watching so venom what do you what do you think we're gonna do next any idea for this i mean fresh cuts i mean as of this moment the uh, the choice seems to be the wretched 
Um, just came out last week. It's getting some decent um, uh, word of mouth. So, I mean, that's the only thing that's really kind of shining on the horizon. Um, as far as anything coming out this week, I mean, I think we have another Into the Dark coming out, but I haven't heard anything about it. So uh, I, I thought it was supposed to drop, I think, either Wednesday or Thursday. Yeah, yeah. I, I figured it sometime this week, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we've got that or The Wretched, which it seems to be kind of my – just because I, I read a blurb about it, and it seems like something I might get into. So, I don't know. Cool. Yeah, it's out there now. So, yep. yeah, that might be it. So, anyways, um, thank you, half of the Fresh Cuts chat, for showing up on this episode tonight. <laughs> thank and you, half of Horophilia. The, the former antagonist of the Fresh Cuts chat. <laughs> Moves. Well, they're talking about me. Sorry. No, that's definitely me. That's going back to Venom saying everyone hates me. I know. I'm being <laughs> pretty I trying to be funny. Uh, see, Heather, Heather, you missed out. I think by the time you got to the chat, Moods had left, so you missed out yeah. on like. Well, he heard I was coming, and you can't have that many Canadians in a chat. That's what you guys didn't actually know. We have to start. Oh, yeah. Uh, so much A's and boots. That's great. person in that too. Canadians have the weirdest fucking laws. We do, we do. <laughs> that hard. came out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> no more than two Canadians in a Facebook group chat. That's right, no oh, more. Oh, that's an American law. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> Can't have no, because if it was an American law, if it was an American law, we would just break it. Yeah, yeah that's valid. Like, <laughs> that's a good a point. A Canadian, oh. Moods was like, Oh, you're gonna invite Heather, eh? Well, I'm sorry, I gotta, I gotta leave. Well, that or the chat would have just been about Toronto Maple Leafs and Blue Jays. You guys, yeah, and I would have killed myself. And shit. I guess Christian like, doesn't count because he hardly ever talks. So different brands yeah. of maple syrup. <laughs> yeah, sure. like you know, I have sugar-free uh, maple syrup. <laughs> what oh God, why? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm diabetic. Uh, I yeah, have to. I guess that's. A, that I'd rather just not eat it. <laughs> It's not that excellent. Right. Neither is yeah. sugar-free barbecue sauce. That I've had. Yeah. I feel yeah. like you're living your best life, Jerry. I'm not. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> hey, that's why I come and do fresh cuts. <laughs> He's trying to live vicariously right. for me. I really this episode to rest. <laughs> everyone, <laughs> thanks for showing up. Thanks for say everyone. Thanks for being a return guest. Um, it was always a blast. So every, this is going to be fun. Everybody say goodbye to the listeners. Peace. Ciao. In a different language. Deuces. Uh, uh, remember, don't be racist and akuna matata. <laughs> Ciao. Adios. Later. <laughs> <laughs>